0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: The Carl Nelson Show.
2: And grand rising family thanks for joining us this morning at the University of Houston's history and Africana Studies professor dr. Gerald Horn will be here later dr. Horn will discuss whether african-americans should join South Africa in the legal fight against the UK and the u.s. for alleged collaboration with Israel over Gaza dr. Gerald Horn will also discuss the possibility of World War III Ethiopia versus Somalia and more He'll talk some sports with us as well but to get us started one of our top scholars is here Grio, Professor James Small, Hotel Professor Small. Good morning and welcome back to the program and Happy New Year, all the salutations. Happy
3: New Year. Happy New Year. Good morning, brother Carl. Fighting a bit of a cold, but I'm here.
2: Good. I was going to ask you about that because this illness is going around. We had a holistic doctor on the other day, and he said there was there was an illness going around in in our communities, the, the lung, respiratory issue that, 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 you know, people are not talking about. He says a lot of folks, and he's down in Atlanta, yeah. and he says a lot of folks are complaining about that.
3: Uh-huh. I think it's going around in everybody's community, though.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what he said.
3: And so, my when granddaughter came in with it last weekend, a little five-year-old, seeing her daddy, mm. and it got me.
2: Got gotcha, you, yeah. Wow. Well, hopefully you're taking care of it. And speaking about illness, though, uh, Professor Small, how's Dr. J doing?
3: Dr. J's doing fine. He's busting at me and all kinds of stuff. He's busting at everybody. But, you know, he <laughs> lost his, his brother about a month yeah. ago, and Hakeem's father, Hakeem, uh, Jeffrey's father. And he was able to travel out by plane to Ohio for the funeral of his brother and come back home him and his wife, Sister Rossum, Dr. Rossum Jeffries, but they're doing good health-wise. I've been over to the house last week, and my, some of my children went over, and other family and friends go over, like, almost every day, just to check on them. But they're actually, health-wise, they're doing fine. Otherwise, they're doing fine. He's just biting up the bit because he can't get out like he wants to because he can't drive anymore, right? Mm. But um, he's still there. There are young men who come and pick him and take him to lectures and and um, you know the churches, things that they want to go to. Every Thursday they go to the gym and they work out. There's a program at a senior citizens gym near the house, and they never miss a Thursday. So he's, he's all right.
2: All right, and since we're speaking he about health, seventh
3: huh? birthday last week
2: too. Oh, congratulations! But, you know, since we're speaking about health, I, I got to make this announcement. There was a big event at the Thurgood Marshall Center. A lot of our family members were over there. And two members who attended uh, came down with uh, tested positive for COVID. So if you were there at the Thurgood Marshall Center last Saturday, you know what event it was. You know, two members that come down with COVID, COVID-19. So get tested for those of you out there. There's something out there. That's for real. We don't oh, tell you.
3: Definitely, we, because... I gave a lecture on Sunday at Nicholas bookstore in Brooklyn uh-huh. and it was a standing room card only. So, and everybody wanted to take a picture and give you a hug and I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> and yeah. it was freezing. So I could have picked it up there,
2: you know? Yeah. 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 And, and you know, unfortunately people don't know that they have it. They're just carriers and, and sometimes mm-hmm. they don't have any outward, you know, symptoms sometimes. or show anything, yeah. but, but then they pass it on to you. Yeah. So we family, we just got to be mindful of that, especially you, Dr. Small, because you're out there and people want to take pictures, want to hug you, and greet you, and mm. you know I know how it is, and 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 you can't be standoffish. You you know you've got you've wow. got to do it. So yeah, There's a so,
3: lot of young people. I was so happy about 50 percent was people under 30. I go like this is good. Wow. Yeah. You know. And so that was a good a good lecture being Baba uh, Oku. I'll keep forgetting kill me for his last name. I had another one of the chief, Bubba Laws with me, and we were breaking down African traditional religion, African spirituality, and, and, and say, for science system, and how we can use it today. You know, you can't bring something that was created 5,000 years ago in another culture, in another space, and in another package, and bring it here today. You have to modify it. If it's time you have to change the package you just don't lose the essence and so that's what we were discussing
2: you know what you mentioned that a lot of young people were there so I'm, I'm happy to hear that because a lot of times our young people get you know tagged the wrong way that they're not disinter- interested in what's going on and mm-hmm. obviously that they showed up for you for what you were doing but here's the deal too: a lot of those young people seemed Seem to be uh, not not feeling the, the the and adults too the two uh, uh, candidates that we have for the presidential election the choices it's not appealing to anyone. Your thoughts on that?
3: We don't really have a choice. You're dealing with President Biden, who is the corporate America poster boy a certain aspect of corporate America. And you deal with Trump, who represents the other aspects of corporate America, and neither one represents the people's interests, whites nor Blacks. Unfortunately, the whites are confused, thinking that uh, Trump represents their interests. And it's so sad, as I grew up in the South, where I lived next door to and worked with poor white farming families, And I I know this man does not carry their interests. And the same thing with the black community, thinking the Democratic Party's foreign policies uh, are tending the interests of the African-American community. But we have been one of the most abused communities in America for over 400 years, but we can't get a hate bill. Somebody attack a few Asians, and in one year you have an Asian hate bill. All right? We have an anti-Semitic bill for Jewish people. But the most attacked people, most abused people, because of their race, we can't even get them to bring a bill to the floor that is an anti-Black American or anti-African American hate bill. Just something as simple as that. Forget about reparations. All of the rest of the world can get reparations, but there's not a serious discussion with respect of the genocide we've suffered being really discussed in the Congress of the United States. We have the largest number of elected black officials ever in the history of America representing mostly the Democratic Party. But we're not we're not part of the agenda, we're not a part of the discussion. The housing situation, the bank loaning situation, the 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 the, the, the college loan situation where we are overtly affected. None of these are being really addressed. The closest coming is the forgiveness bill that Biden is talking about. We have to see how many African Americans are really qualifying for that, you know. And there's a host of other things that's not being addressed in our community. The police brutality in New York, the stop and frisk, is worse than it has ever been in the history of the city under a black mayor, a black district attorney, a black borough president, a black city council person, a black state head of the senate, state senate, a black head of the, the, the state representative. And we are suffering now with more police abuse, more stopping of our and frisking about people for no reason than ever in the history of New York. And it's not being addressed by the black politicians.
2: Let me jump in and ask you this, though. Why do you think, is it just total lack of respect for us as a people?
3: On the part of the black politicians, it's it's political ignorance. It's social ignorance. They don't really understand. The average black elected official don't have a clue about the history of the black community they claim they want to serve. They don't have a, a clue about the history of the black race that makes up these communities. They have no real idea of what redlining is. They have no real idea of of what is causing uh, the housing shortage in our community. We have homeless on the streets in New York, and I speak to the city I live in, by the thousands, mostly blacks and Latinos. No money could be found. But when they want to bring the cheap workers in the country under the guise of being asylum seekers, they can find billions of dollars to house them overnight. What is going on, Democrats? You run the city. You say it's an asylum city. But the only people that can't get asylum are the citizens of the United States of color living in the cities. What's going on, Democrats?
2: And I'm sure you've asked that question. Have you gotten a response yet?
3: No ignorant people, politicians, and cowards don't know how to respond to political truth. How can you be a a, a leader of a people that you don't know the basic history of the people you're leading? You don't know the general political history, social history, economic history of the community you're supposed to be serving. You think your only job is to say I'm going to do this, this, this to you with no substance to it and emotionally influence people and get elected, but you don't even know how to get the Electricity turn on in a building that's owned by the city of New York in the winter when people are cold.
2: And, and that begs a question, though, Professor Small. That elections are coming up in the fall in November, uh, national in elections, you know, presidential election and local elections. And, and we have some people say they're going to sit them out because they're not they don't care about the candidates. So, what do you what do you say?
3: I'm not into the sitting out. We fought too hard to be in the process to control our politics. I think we have to learn to take the route of the independent and organize our people and run them for political office. If the parties, the dominant party, do not run people that come from our community that we would have selected, then don't come and sell and market a dark-skinned face to me when it's time for election. And we should be intelligent enough, the general black community, to look among ourselves and find the persons we want to run, and then begin to organize and politically get out in the streets and work and put that person in the city council, put that person in the state house, and put that person in Washington, D.C. We can't ignore America. We live in America. And if you no. live in America, you can't ignore it because America will not ignore you except on the negative side. So if you want to be have the a positive attention of this country, then you have to put the people in office that you want and not the people who are presented to us that nobody in the community knows anything about.
2: All right. Hold that thought right there, Doc. we got to take a short break. When we come back, Bill in Long Beach has a question for you already. Family, you want to join this conversation with Professor Small, reach out to us at 800 450 76 or 14 after the top of that. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010. WOLB, if you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes after the top there. One of our top scholars is joining us this morning. His name is Professor James Small. Let me just say this. Whenever you hear one of our scholars are in town, make sure you go there and see and check him out. You know, Dr. Small mentioned that he was in Brooklyn the other night. So, folks, whenever they come to your city, make sure that you're there to see them in live and living color, in person. Now, right now, what you can do is call up a couple of your friends and tell them that Professor Small is on the radio. They'll thank you. Uh, Professor Small, before we left, I mentioned that Bill is calling from Long Beach. Bill's online, too, has got a question for you. Bill, good morning.
4: Yes, sir. Yeah, well, actually, it's uh, Ben from Long Beach. And I was uh, telling Kevin off the air what a wonderful job he was doing there. And uh, we love you, Kevin. Uh, Keep up the good work. But I have a question for uh, Dr. Small. We really should be calling Dr. Small, Dr. Big. I know you worked uh, with uh, Malcolm X and you're. Uh, Dr. Small, I have a, a question uh, about uh, Gaza for you, because I didn't know that Caucasians were as evil as they are To see what's going on in Gaza. So I have uh, two questions for you, and then I'll take the, uh, the answer offline. And my question, Dr. Small, is this. Are Caucasians evil by nature, not evil by nature, but are they killers by nature, number one? And number two, the uh, Caucasian Democrat Party, would they do the same thing to black people in this country commit genocide against us if they were reelected like they're doing in Gaza? Thank you, Dr. Small, and I
3: appreciate you. Let's take the last part of your question first. They spent 400 years committing genocide against us, and genocide is still committing, being committed against us. If you look at the number of our young people in the penal system who didn't commit any crime, of the crimes that they committed, white kids didn't go to prison for it, but they did. The young man that escaped in Philadelphia yesterday was in prison since he was 14 years old awaiting trial. He's 17 years old now. This is not an aberration. This goes on all over the country. So you got nearly a million of our young people every year being cycled through the prison, which then damaged millions of our people who can never vote. And this being, that's genocide. That's the same thing they were doing with the Palestinians. The Palestinians were not, Gaza was not a free Palestinian community. Gaza was a prison camp, a concentration camp. It had fences on all four sides, and Israel held the key to the fences. Nothing came in, nothing went out, including the, the Palestinian people, whether they were Christian Palestinians, um have Palestinians, black Palestinians, brown, no white Palestinians, because Palestinians come in all shades. And so the genocide we see is nothing new. It's been going on for 78 years. And if you read the literature, the people who have been talking about from the sea to the river is not the Palestinians. These were the first Zionists that came from Europe. Europe committed a crime against them, and they turned against the Palestinians in the Middle East instead of the Europeans who committed the crime against them. That's another whole story. But the, the white people evil. I don't think white people as persons, individuals, are evil, because I know too many people grew up with them, went to school with them, fought in the military with them, and some of them are the strongest comrades I had. But white culture is evil. The white culture is based on war. Study history and as far back as you go, before the Roman Empire, before the Greek Empire, before the Spartans, white, uh, I can't call them civilizations. They were not civilized. White communities and nations was about warring, killing, taking from other people. So they built a culture based on domination. Dr. Jeffrey said it's based on domination, destruction, and death by war. And they have not yielded from that posture from ancient times till today. I don't think there is 10 years in the history of European people where there isn't a major war going on that they're involved in or multiple wars going on that they're involved in over the last 3,000 years.
5: Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken, they're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
2: And let me jump in and ask you, since we're talking about Gaza, why did they decide to put the state of Israel in that in there? What was the decision? Who and who decided it? Which which country was was the, was the UN around then? Who decides? Okay, we're going to give you this this, this this land. And who was on the land before?
3: This was decided after the first World War between the House of Rothschild and the Zionist movement of that day. And Balfour, who was a major British uh, diplomat and leader, it's called the Balfour Agreement. People need to look it up. The Balfour Agreement. I think it's 1917. Um, And then it it got fulfilled after the Second World War. I think it's a guy named Greenberg, who was the head of the Jewish agency at the time, based in Spain, that was leading the thrust, along with many of the players that we would see become prime ministers in Israel over the years. Um, For some, it was based on a religious return that, according to the Bible, that many of Our people follow. It said the land was given to the Jews by God. And there's some people who legitimately believe that. But there's millions and millions of Jews who are not Zionists and who will not go back to Israel because they said, according to their scripture, they have not fulfilled uh, what God has told them must be fulfilled historically for them to return of those Jews who have gone back or those converts to Judaism, because most of them are not ethnically Hebrews. They're not from the Middle East. They have no genes that place their ancestors in the Middle East. These are European people converted to the theology of Judaism and who work from the ideology of white nationalism that's called Zionism. And so there was another piece to this. The American and the British at the end of the First World War is when the world is beginning to discover oil in Saudi Arabia and other parts of the Middle East. The American government's interest is we need to have a controlling state in the region. So the American government, even though Truman did not want, and Truman said openly, and you can look it up online what Truman had to say about the founding of the state of Israel, he did not want to sign that document, but he was forced to. by the military industrial complex and other corporate entities in America because they wanted a base in the Middle East. So Israel really is the 51st state of the United States that was placed in the Middle East by the Americans, supported by our tax dollar without our permission to control the, the oil flow in the Middle East, Britain, America, France, Germany, and, and and the others. And that's the historical facts that you can read any document and see that that's historically true. For the people who bought the lie, who could have lived anywhere else in the world in peace, and matter of fact, the persons who took when the Germans were killing the Jewish people, it was the Arab world that took the Jewish people in. Palestinians took the Jewish people in who were running away from Europe. So, how do you turn on the people that give you sanctuary? while you still have partnership with the people who committed genocide against you. So a lot of it is studying history, knowing history, learning history. This has nothing to do with being anti-anybody. This has to do with looking at history, because there are Jewish people in this world who will die for justice for anybody. There are many thousands and thousands of Jewish persons in New York that does not support the state of Israel, probably millions. I'm talking Orthodox Jewish persons who will never go there because according to their scripture, the fulfillment of what it takes to return has not happened. The Messiah has not come. And that's the theological part of the discussion. But these things are so easy to look up and discuss and see today because we have computers. But we have to be willing to, anytime we see an event in the world, study the history of that event, of that location, of those people, and find out what the Balfour agreement was, what was the agreement between Lord Balfour and the House of Rothschild regarding Israel not in nineteen forty eight in nineteen
2: wow, seventeen because I was, was wondering why why did they have to cut the deal was it was there something going on The, the did yes, they, they need
3: to control the oil okay. oil and pearls Kuwait at that time was the pearl capital of the world. Saudi Arabia just blown into being the oil capital of the world. America wanted to control that America. Britain, France, and Germany particularly. Germany was coming from a weak position at the time, but the, 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 the house of wealth of German, the German banks wasn't coming from a weak position at the time because they played games on us with history.
2: You know, 30 minutes after the top there, later this morning when uh, Dr. Horn is, is an attorney, we're going to discuss, and I want to get your thoughts on this, if should the uh, should African Americans join South Africa in a legal fight against the U.K. and U.S., for, file a friend of the brief, uh, a friend of the court, a brief, if you will, in this legal issue. But the the ruling is supposed to come down today, I think, or today or tomorrow, and they'll probably just ignore whatever ruling is made. But I want to get your thoughts on that. Is is this a fight that we should engage in as well? on on the side of the South Africans, or should we just sit on the sidelines and watch?
6: I don't
3: think we are sitting on the sidelines and watching millions of buses in the streets across the world protesting. Secondly, South Africa is a signatory to the Geneva Convention on Genocide, so it is appropriate that they make this move. They are one of the signatures to the genocide um, agreement. They don't need us, and black Americans have to learn how to choose their battles strategically and not just dump into battles. We cannot win, or we cannot defend ourselves against an formidable enemy because we hadn't had time to prepare for that enemy's retaliation, and they will. And we better be able to prepare ourselves to fight against it, and we don't. South Africa don't need us right now. This has gone to the courts. There's others that support it. It's going through the court. Israel is going to be charged with genocide. Netanyahu will probably be charged with genocide. And they're also America and Britain. And it's time. We killed over a million innocent civilians in Iraq, and nobody took America to court. The American government and military killed over one million Iraqi civilians Do you hear me? We're not even talking Afghanistan, just Iraq. One million, mostly women and children we murdered in Iraq who committed no crime against us and nobody. A few people talked about war crimes and they were shut down. America supplied the impetus and gave the okay for Gaza to happen. If America didn't want Gaza to happen, it would not have happened. Let's be clear about that. America is not impotent. Immediately, we sent the largest warship for in the history of America since the Second World War into the Mediterranean when this thing happened in Gaza. We sent ships into the Indian Ocean. We said, we got your back. Go do what you got to do. And so now we say, crying and oh, you've gone too far. No one go any further than America. Say, I'm allowing you to go. We are American. Let's not be foolish. We know what this country's capabilities are. Look how long it took them to admit that they murdered Patrice Lumumba so the American corporate and British corporate structure and Italian corporate structure can drain the wealth with the Belgians out of Congo. And it hasn't stopped even to this day. The result of Lumumba's murder and the murder of his followers is still watching every year over one million Congolese die, mostly women. And nobody even hold a conversation, not CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, nobody, not even the black elected officials for whatever worth they are.
2: Right. And hold that thought right there, uh, Professor Schmock. And when we come back, tell us why, why these black elected officials, even this black, black media doesn't have these discussions. You know, I'll let you, you know, discuss that when we come back, though. It's 26 minutes away from the top. Of the hour. I want take another quick break, family. You want to join us, reach out to us at 800-450-7876 to speak to Professor Small. We'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Free are in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. W-O-L, where information is power. Good morning again, family. 22 minutes away from the top there with our guest, one of our top scholars, Professor James Small is with us this morning. And you can just ask him about any question you want. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Just want to remind you later this morning, we're going to speak with uh, uh, Dr. Gerald Horne. One of the things we talked about, we just mentioned with uh, Professor Small about whether African Americans should join this uh, legal fight against, with South Africa against against the UK and the US. Also tomorrow's uh, Friday, so we invite you to free your mind and join us for another edition of Open Phone Friday. Think for yourself and hit us up at 800-450-7876 and we start promptly at 6 a.m eastern time right here in baltimore on 1010 wolb in the dmv we're on fm 95.9 and am 1450 wol uh, so professor small you mentioned that the, the issue these I and mean, many issues concerning us are not discussed by our elected officials or even in, in the black media, per se. I mean, I'm talking about podcasts and, and people who reach 100 people and think they reach a 1,000 and buy likes and all that kind of stuff. We're talking about the real, real folks. So uh, explain to me why isn't it being discussed?
3: It's primarily where we get our finances, where we get our funds. If you're funded by the white American value system and cultural corporate uh, way of life, then you will do what they instruct you to do. And they instruct you not to address certain issues in the black community, otherwise you will not get their financial support. And most black media, you know, yours being one of the few, that is not controlled and supported by white American media. And that's sad. We we notice all of the black media that was black from the Afro-American to the Amsterdam News to um, Ebony Magazine to Jet. We've watched black media get bought out and thrown over the last 30, 40 years so that there's a limited amount of black media. And what's masquerading as black media, like BET, is white-owned media portraying themselves as black media. And we're buying into that. Black elected officials are buying into it. The general public are buying into it because they put up a few awards every year and give us some black celebrity to parade across the television screen, giving us a culture that does not come out of our community or our uh, religious institution, but it appeals to our youth. I mean, I don't want to be mean about it, but the truth about it is the truth about it. Um, it isn't about who pays the bill. And our leaders have been bought off in the same way who pays for them to get elected, who pays for them to be able to get their junkets and travel where they want to go. Um, And so that's who they vote for. And then they'll tell us, well, you didn't pay for us to get there. You came to our community. You lied to us. You say, I'm one of you. I'm going to go in and fight for your interests. Come to the vote and support me. We come to the vote. Stop saying black people don't vote. Black people vote in one of the highest margins in this country. And we do have dips when we find ourselves having been betrayed, but we, we are a consistent voting group of people, and yet we get betrayed by the people we elected all the time because they get bought off by the people we elect them to fight against. And it's really that simple. The money creates the collaboration and the betrayal of the black community.
2: Well, in, in New York, where, where you are, in the New York area, uh, Charles Barron was an aberration when he mm-hmm. and his wife, what they did, how can we duplicate yeah. that across the country?
3: Charles and Arnaz Barron are uh, just sent politicians because they grew up in the black struggle. They come from the civil rights movement, struggling in the street. Both of those people, they came from the Black Panther Party. They came from the black nationalist movement. They were. Str- I met Charles when we were youth together going to college. We met at City College. He was in the Black Panther Party then. I was in the OAAU. So these are people who, if you fight and struggle at the social level for your people, and I'm talking about as simple as going to the PTA meetings, right, going to the community board meetings, going to the meetings, the board meetings that deal with land distribution, going to the community housing meeting by participating at this local level. Fighting to get people registered to vote, but not just registered, fighting to educate them on who to vote for and why they should vote. And if there's nobody there for you to vote for, how to get somebody out of your own ranks, prepare them, and put them up, learn how to run the political machinery. That's how you become a fighter. Charles and Inez Barron understood local politics, national politics, regional politics, because they were fully participating in it while being husband and wife and raising a family. And we don't find that kind of commitment because they were offered the money, but they didn't take it because their commitment to the black community was greater than than a, than a, a condominium or vacation in, in Dominican Republic or the Virgin Islands, you know.
2: Yeah, they they could have sold out a long time ago, but. Back to our politicians, though, uh, uh, Professor Small. Because a lot of times I hear people, and they complain when well, they're not doing this. They complain about the congressional black caucus, and they complain about their local officials, their mayors, their city council, and aldermen. They're always, always complaining, but never very short on solutions. If they're not doing right, why don't they, you know, call them back, have a recall? If there's no recall, vote them out, what, and, and put what's somebody what's, in. What's what's the issue here? Where's where's the, what's missing?
3: Political education. Most people don't know how to do those things. Most people bought into the system saying, if you elect this person from this party who came to your community, came to your church, came to your school, your preacher tells you to vote for him, your principal tells you or her, your principal tells you to vote for them, you trust your preacher, you trust your principal, and there we go. We have to walk in the church and tell the preacher, we're not going to let you tell us anymore who to vote for. We're going to tell you who we want to vote for. But to do that, you've got to get organized. And to get organized, you've got to turn to your neighbor, turn to your family members. And then we're going to come over to the list of 10 things we want from any elected official that could go into the city council. And then go to your neighbor and say, you all willing to get with us on these same things? Then begin to organize your community, because short of organizing the community from the grassroots level, we'll never, except on the rare occasions of the Barron family, get anyone who can legitimately represent the interests of African-American people, because in most cases, the interests of African-American people run contrary to the interests of racism, contrary to the interests of exploitation, contrary to the interests of economic and social abuse that is dominated by the white community. And since that community that carry out these atrocities against our community are the people with the capital, we send people up there to represent us, then 90% of them don't have any principles whatsoever. They don't demonstrate any ethics. I've even watched uh, our brothers and sisters who have been elected to the office from the Midwest, from other countries, and who have other than Christian religions. They're busy fighting. Black people elect them to Congress, but they're fighting for the Middle East. They're fighting for. Uh, their religious community around the world, and they're not fighting for the black Americans who elected them. Because they don't have enough nationals from the other countries to elect them to Washington. I'm not going to call their names. They know who I'm talking about. So you up there thinking that if you dress a certain way, you, you, you are exempt from fighting for black people in America, but you can fight for the people from another country who that didn't elect you with one single vote. So, people need to stop it, and black people need to call people on it. You're not that attractive that I can't call you on it. You're not that intellectually astute in, 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 in your rhetoric that I can't call you, hey, I elected you to Congress from Minnesota or from Detroit or from Michigan, and you're not representing my interests. You're busy representing everybody else's interests who didn't vote for you, and you're not representing mine. You know, right. but to raise these questions, it comes back down to the very community level and it comes back down to the level of of the spiritual institutions. Once the black church was the sanctuary for our political, our economic, our social, and our cultural manifestations, now the black church is there for sale for somebody to give them money to build a a nursing home, the state to give them money to build a nursing home, or to build a senior housing, or help them with 75% of the cost of the church transportation, and so they'd be holding to that capital instead of being beholden to the interests of the people who come in that church every Sunday and pay their salaries. Yes, I said it. Cause y'all know that's the truth.
2: Yeah. And, and so. professor Small, let me jump in here a second, or 12 away from the top. Yeah. Should we put reparations as the litmus test on anyone who's seeking office, whether it be at the city council level, the mayoral level, the alderman, uh, Congress, state level, should should we should if they do not support reparations, should should we not should they not get our vote? That's my question.
3: I think that's too much. I think reparations should be one of the things. But we you know, we have the tendency to jump on bandwagons. Reparations have been out here, we've been fighting for reparations since the Civil War. You know, this is not something new. And we know what we're up against. We need to find ways to make sure that we can tell these people if you don't address reparations, we could hurt you, but we can't hurt ourselves when they don't address reparations. There are other issues in the black community that needs to be addressed. The other day, uh, two weeks ago, we buried a, a god, Sekou Odinga. Do you know who Sekou Odinga is?
2: Yes, sir.
6: Sekou,
3: Sekou Odinga, not, not you call me in the world. Sekou Odinga, one of the founders of the Black Panther Party in New York City, the founder of the Black Liberation Army, one of the leaders of the group that broke us out of out of prison. Spent 33 years in prison on our behalf, on a RICO charge. Spent 26 of those 33 years in solitary confinement. Came back home to his people at his own behest because he learned the law and got himself out of jail. He worked to get Matula Sacoa out of jail. He worked to get Brother Bell out of jail. He worked to get the other Panther Party members who had been sentenced to prison for 30, 40, 50 years. He passed away, this god of a black man, who was with Malcolm X when he was a teenager. And when Malcolm died, he joined the Black Panther Party. And he did all of this for us, and most of our people don't know the name of Sekou Odinga. What a beautiful man. When Sekou came home, he did not miss a step coming back to his community. 26 years in solitary confinement, for God's sake.
2: For that is sake. so true. Yeah, right. You know, but again, sake. why don't we know these people? Why, why don't the, the you
3: because know black media, who should be the one telling us about it, is not telling us about them. We're going to bury this Friday. Viola Plummer, a goddess, 86 years old. I've known Viola from the struggle for over 50 years head of the December 12th movement, one of the first groups to be arrested on the RICO charge and the only group that ever beat RICO. Black group, anyway, that ever beat RICO. And this woman has never missed a day, marching, fighting. She worked in city government. She she worked in the most radical moves. She worked to help Zimbabwe. She supported Mugabe. They just, she fought to create the Malcolm X Betty Shabazz Center in New York out of the Audubon Ballroom. There was hardly anything that Viola Plummer, she marched with Reverend Shopton, or Reverend Shopton marched with them because December 12th brought Reverend Shopton into the movement in that way, you know, um, and that was Viola Plummer. And she's now an ancestor. And black media should be all over this. What a queen. What a heroine. What a prince. <laughs>
2: You know, you know, cake. and also if you, I appreciate if you tell us about because both of them are now ancestors. Explain to us because I know you're very familiar with what happens with, as far as a, a Pan African and an African centered uh, when it comes to, when it comes to making a transition. Where mm-hmm. are they now? Because you're saying where are their souls right now as we speak?
3: Well, the Yoruba have a word for it. They call a and it says that we come, means we come and we go. In, in the Akan tradition, when you leave, there's 40 days before they really celebrate your going. You have the funeral and everything to take care of the family grief. Then in 40 days, there's a celebration called a quesidine because they believe it takes 40 days for that energy that you created here on earth to merge with that larger body of energy that we call the ancestors and God no matter, no energy can be destroyed. The matter we put in the ground, it it deteriorate it would we'll go back to the minerals that it was, that we got from the food we ate. But the energy will again, according to African culture, be recycled back to the earth in the body of an, a child or grandchild of that ancestors. In short, that we, me and Carl, Carl, you are, and no science can disprove this, you are the same gene cluster that the millions of people that made up your mother and father was. You are they going forward.
2: Yeah, you know, hold sure. that though right there, Professor Small. I want you to dig down in this a little bit. Uh, I remember we were at uh, Dr. Welsing's funeral and we were saying that the folks who, who were here were part of the resistance. Their ancestors were part of the resistance. And somehow that runs through our DNA. If you can d- dig down in that. So, so, you know, so ne- I guess necessarily, and this is my question of I'm asking you this, the people who were selling us out, they were the one, their, their ancestors, did their ancestors sell us out our ancestors as well? So should we not blame them too, too much because it's, it's it's how they're wired, if you will, they're wired as sellouts from from their from their ancestors. I'll let you respond to that after we take the short break. Six minutes away from the top of the hour, folks, we've got one of our top scholars with us. His name is Professor James Small. Call up a couple of friends and let him know he's on the radio. They'll appreciate it. And we'll be back in four minutes with Professor Small and your phone calls right here in Baltimore on 1010. WOLB, if you're in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. A minute after the top, there with our guest, the Professor James Small. Professor Small is one of our top Griots, one of our top scholars as a Griot in our community as well. you'd like to speak to him, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Later, we're going to ask him about of the Godfather of Harlem, he's a he's a consultant on that television series. But before we left, we was discussing what happens when, when we make that transition, and I used the word funeral, uh, professional. Maybe you can uh, uh, school me on what the because that's a European term but with the going home services for uh, Doctor Welsing. and, and we we're having this conversation and looking around, and you mentioned that. See, so you said to me, all these folks around here they're part of the resistance they're, their ancestors were part of the resistance. And my question to you is that the people who are selling us out today were their ancestors selling us out before. So should we uh, sort of lighten up on them since they're still, they're, they're wired that way and they're not necessarily that way. If you get my drift of what well, I'm trying yeah, to ask.
3: I wouldn't make, I can. I don't think we can make such a clear line because all of us are so multidimensional, you know, we're not, Human beings, we, are, we say we're we matter, we're body, we're spirit, we're soul. But even when we take those three elements, those are all dimensional, meaning we have such experiences that impact who we are from the day we are born till the day we die. Every experience, whether it's a experience about fear, or about joy, about rewards, about happiness, all those experiences determine how we see the world the next minute the next instant. And so when people live according to, and I'll just go to African traditions. all African cultures say, believe in what, what people call um, resurrection, but they believe in resurrection, but they believe in reincarnation. But that you reincarnate, not as a bird or a bush or water, you reincarnate as a human being in the very same family, like the yogis call it the IBI, you reincarnate in the very same family that your first ancestor originally came to Earth in. That Carl Nelson is in the same family that originated millions of years ago, that made up your your gene pools, coming from all the sectors. They're coming from this one, marrying this one, this one, marrying this one, and colliding into what is now Carl Nelson. You contain. The genealogical arrangement and experiences of millions and millions of people. And your philosophy, your value system, allows you to consolidate all of that into you. And so then we come back to what happens when you die in the African culture. There's no such thing as death. There is this resurrection. If we didn't have the cement box and metal box when you go in the ground and you bury a person like we just did, Brother Sekou, he was buried in a wooden box, he will deteriorate, the wood will deteriorate, his body will break back down into the same minerals that make up the soil that he's buried in and become a part of the earth as one again. Well, the energy that you are will do the same thing. Except that energy would come, would return as the Africans call that cluster of energy, the ancestors. That's the set of experiences that you had before you were, Carl, that you had when you were your mother and father that you had, when you were your four grandparents that you had, when you were your eight great parents that you had, when you were your 16 great-great-grandparents. All of those people are you in these different sets of experiences that culminate as you, Carl, and yet they're all dead, probably. But they can't be dead because you're the combination of them.
2: So if I'm and falling, you we, no, we really never dive in. The soul lives on forever.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
3: Tell somebody, prove death is real. No scientist can prove death is real. It's a theological illusion to frighten people into being controlled by the ruling elite. You are so the technic- total of it. Just listen to it now. You are the okay. total. When uh-huh. your mother and father gave birth to you, they gave birth to the only thing they can give birth to, and that is a culmination of themselves. Just think about it for a second now. Don't just hear it. Your mother and father gave birth to you. What did they have to give that birth? They had themselves. So you are the culmination of your mother and your father. So you are they going forward. When you and your wife came together and gave birth to your children, they are you and your wife going forward. They are also your mother and father going forward. They are also your grandparents, great parents, great parents going forward. All of those genes and all of its complexity is in your children, with all of its ancestral memory that can be accessed and tapped into through meditation, through songs, through dance, through other rituals that our people devise to call forth those types of memory energy when they need them, much of the skills of which we've lost we still have them in the black church when we have our Holy Ghost and our dancing and our shouting, but we no longer know what we are doing, but we just think it's an experience that has overtaken us.
2: I want to drill down a little bit on what you said. So what about biracial uh, p- folks then? How does, that, how does this manifest itself if, if, when people get together guess, with a European it and it produce children?
3: Wanna, depends on whether you want to play the game of racial, right? What is really at the end of the day? If there's only one human race, then there's no such thing as biracial. It is bicultural, but not biracial. And since the culture and the values and the belief system that instructs and informs the human cells in every human body, then we get these damaged, distorted beings. And those people we call, say, white, for instance, that come out of the war culture, the death culture, the culture of domination, destruction, and death, of fear and intimidation, that set of clustered genes, when it's mixed with our genes, that is, for the most part, have been a gene based on human empathy. There is going to be some conflict. But the genes that's based on human empathy should, in time, override the damage scenes that's
2: based on domination, destruction, and death. So when Dr. Welton talks about uh, white, uh, uh, white folks are facing, uh, they're facing their demise because, of the, the, you know, they're, I guess basically they're basically inferior to us as far as uh, their, their DNA is concerned. White genetic survival, she talks about. Is, yeah. is, is, this, where, is this where you're going with this?
3: No, I mean, it's a little bit there, but if you marry into a gene cluster that is genetically inferior to you, then you would dominate that cluster, wouldn't you? It wouldn't dominate you. I mean... I'm trying to think of all of the mixed race people we had that have done the extraordinary leadership in the black community from Mr. White, from the NACP to W. Du Bois to Booker T. Washington, and on and on. And they have been extraordinary, these have been extraordinary African, exemplary Africans. So the Africans, they must be the dominant element.
2: Yeah, it, it makes sense. Our folks, Professor Small, is taking us to school this morning, ten after the top of the hour. Howard's joining us? He's in L.A. He Wants to comment on something. He's online too. Howard, good morning. You're on with Professor Small. Good
6: morning. Good morning. Hope you have a
7: good day. Hey, um, I, I just want—I'm just going to share, but listen, I just want you to comment a couple of things on, on my mind. First of all, could you comment? on the arrest of Pinochet when he stepped out the plane in France, where the Chilean government arrested him for the death of uh, uh, Salvador, India, in Chile back in 73. Also, it was there a thing where Kissinger couldn't step out the country, either behind his, uh, behind war crimes in Vietnam? And also, could you comment on George Bush? There was rumors that he couldn't come out the country, either they're gonna snatch him up and take him to the World Court? And also, one other question, could you comment about the shell of bet i'm really curious about that why do we get something and it's, it's get up in the white folks hands uh, i just have a bit of me take your time but hurry up please thank you
8: okay well i
3: can't comment on Chile. that's not in my consciousness enough at this point in history and the end, they, i mean that's general history and that's easier to look up and find the answers to Um, Mr. Bush had never heard that or that about Kissinger, but both of them should have been brought up on war crimes. And even today, they should be brought up on war crimes, even posthumously. Um, as far as BET is concerned, I thought when it was done, it was a crime. I thought that when BET was created, it was created as a black community station and not as a Mr. Johnson station because the the ruling that was passed in D.C. I thought was to create a television station for the black community, but it turned out to create a station that a member of the black community felt they owned, and the way corporate structures were set up, indeed, they were the owners and was able to then sell it to the worst of our enemies, the Warner Brothers, and make money off of it. Um, even when they had it as a station, uh, it was just it was just an entertainment station it It didn't do it did more than some did, but you know we we think that entertainment is is the description of the black community um that's the lease of our community. um People go to work every day in our community. people go to church every Sunday, people go to mosque every Friday, those who do that um people raise children and send them to school every day. People have to do homework with their children every day. People have to pay college for their children. But we reduce what we're doing to who's dancing. Mega it a stallion. No disrespect to Mega, but somebody needs to instruct you that, okay, if that's what you want to sell as you. Um, Michael Jackson, uh, Prince, uh, we, somebody sell us these images that have such an impact on the youth, and all the images come with messages. And the message impacts the consciousness of the belief system of our youth because it's so big in media. And BET did a very terrible job in sending positive messages to black people, even though it's called black entertainment television, which is still called while it's owned by white folks. And they still think they're the black entertainers because every year they give us these awards with black entertainers. Um, I never see them bring black scholars up there. I never see them bring... <clears throat> Black architects, I never see them bring the, the Blacks who really run the Black community, and they're not there. They, they bring the people who are, for the most part, negatively influencing the Black youth in the Black So I don't know if we really need a BET. We do need a Black Entertainment Network, but I don't know if we need a BET.
2: All right, hold that door right there, yeah, Professor Small. 14 after the top there. We're going to take a short break. Bob in Buffalo has a question for you, and also Furman has sent a, a tweet question for you as well. And we get to those when we get back. Family, you want to join this conversation with Professor Small? Reach out to us. 800 450 7876 Those are the magic numbers. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. For in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power good morning once again family 21 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest professor James Small is in our classroom this morning and we, he's taking us to school this morning and a lot of questions I got uh, folks that got tweet questions for you and also Bob in Buffalo has a question for you but here's the question of uh, Furman says uh, Jagner professor Small in African spirituality, would I recognize my mother or would she recognize me when she returns? Peace and blessings. That's from Brother Furman.
3: Absolutely, Brother Furman. You know, that's why I remember asking a king, Nanakwamanen I the fifth of Afikado in the Western region of Ghana, why do we pour libations? Because, you know, over here we pour libations and we yada, yada, yada. And it says you pour libations to call the dead to the present. He just made it that simple that when a king in Africa sits on a throne, he's no longer the person you saw walking up to the throne. Once he sits on that stool on that throne, he becomes the ancestors. he becomes the conduit by which the ancestors communicate to that community. so it's a it's an energy sector, almost a portal in a way that these thrones are in Africa. And they go back over thousands of years in the same location. Your mom, when she gave birth to you, she took everything that was in her as DNA and deposited it in you, as you. So even when your mom was alive, she was you. And now what you have to do is learn how to remember. Learn how to meditate and remember her words. Remember what she looks like. Have a. That's why people put up ancestral altars, so you have the photograph of your ancestors, there so you can remember. Get them embedded in your consciousness. Remember what she smelled like. Remember what she looked like. Remember what she said when you were about to do something you knew you shouldn't have done. It's still in your head. But you have to remember it, because that's her in your head. She's a part of every cell in your body. Every energy that made up the love that she exudes for you lives in the cell, lives in the molecules, lives lives in everything that makes you up. How do you call her forward? And that's when the question is the things we, we come to that we call love. What is this thing called love? This thing called love is to realize that your mother was an extension of the thing you call God. Because God didn't come down here and give birth to you and create you. Your mother did that for God as an aspect of God. So that means your mom is connected to God. So when you look at African culture, that's how we see it. Okay? So when you think of love, think of your love for God, and that should be the same love you have for your mother. Just as you can call upon the greater divine, the help you need you can call upon your mother to help you work things out that she used to help you work out when she was alive but everything she said to you when she was alive still vibrates within the walls of yourself talk to her and begin to realize her within you because you are an aspect of her going forward just like you're an aspect of your father going forward but you have to practice practice makes perfect Pour libations every day. Have a little, just a little table. The pictures of your mom, your dad, your grandparents. Talk to them just like they were there physically. Pour libations to fill it in my soul and my heart. I still respect y'all. I still love y'all. I pour the purity of water to you every day. I'm gonna, when I come back home to them, I'm gonna ring my little bell. I'm gonna tell y'all what a good day I had. Before I leave today, I'm gonna tell y'all wish me a good day before I go out just as you ask for God's blessings before you go forward. And you will find all of that experience and memory that made up your mother that she gave to you is still alive in you. You just have to wake it up.
2: Yeah, Furman sent a picture of his mom holding him. So Furman, thank you for that question. Professor Small is 25 after the top. Bob's in Buffalo has a, a question or a comment for us online too. Good morning, Bob.
1: Uh, Good day, my brothers. Uh, Blessed love um, to the family. Um, Dr. Smalls, I I respect and honor you, and I've learned so much by listening to you. Um, A couple of points. Uh, One is that uh, we have to be the ones to tell the stories of those who are no longer here, to tell stories for themselves. Yeah. there was a, a story you talked about how the queen mother could dethrone the king by burying her breast to the community. There was a historic example in um, there was a historic example in recent times. I, I hope you can help me remember the details where the women of uh, a particular country uh, t- sought to shame the leaders of the country by walking through the community bearing their breasts. Um, I, I, I was wondering about uh, Cameroon. I, I I can't remember. I was one, I was hoping you could remember, help me to remember that. But uh, that's one question. The other question is that um, I, I I learned so much from listening to you. I was wondering if you might be able to share with the community the story of Robert Franklin Williams, Robert F. Williams, uh, one of our great ancestors, who's very little told about, but who has so much of a story that we need to learn from. Um, And I I, I honor and appreciate you, my brother. Yes, sir. Thanks, Bob.
3: Brother Robert Williams and his beautiful wife, I think they were from Monroe, North Carolina, and he headed the NACP chapter down there. But when there was an attempt to commit crimes against the black community by lynch mobs and, and the Klan, he picked up arms against them, and he picked up arms against the authorities. Um, long story short, he had to leave this country, and he went to China. And from China, he helped direct a lot of the movements in this country, the formulation of the Republic of New Africa. He was an advisor to the young men who started the Black Panther Party, especially the East Coast Party. He was um, an advisor to the young people who started the Black Liberation Army. He eventually came back home, you know, in his uh, uh, older age. But he was part of that whole force in the South that helped protect the civil rights uh, marches and movement. People think that we would just um, – we were running around down there unarmed and, and unprotected, and that wasn't true. Um, Rob Williams and then the other group called Deacon for Defense, these men who was in the tradition of Rob Williams, carried arms to protect those who wouldn't carry arms, you know and to protect the black community and let them know they had to stand up and defend themselves. And you, we sometimes think about Mississippi, but if you look at the draconian laws in North Carolina, especially when you go back to how they destroyed the black community of Wilmington and destroyed the government in Wilmington at the turn of the 1900s, they were more draconian and and, 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 and genocidal than Mississippi. And so when Rob Williams in, in, in the early late 50s, early 60s was growing up there, he was in the midst of probably one of the worst clan territory in America. But he stood up against it. And when his words were no longer strong enough, he took arms and stood against it. And when he went to China, Mao Zedong gave him the protection he needed so that he could not be touched by the American government. And from China, he was able to broadcast and write articles and instruct us young people back here on how to carry on struggle. So he's one of those names we should never forget, and now young people need to learn more more about him and his wife because he stood toe-to-toe with him. There was another piece of your question.
6: Oh.
2: I think you hung up. Okay. Yeah. But here's a, here's a tweet question I have for you, Professor Small. Tweeter uh, Lisa says, how can we slow down the annihilation of black people in America? What can we do to stop it?"
5: Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken; they're true to chicken. The McCrispy, only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba.
3: The word it seems so simple and so hard to get to. Unite, unite, unite around our common interests. Um, we have to find ways to unite with people that live in your very household. You can live in a black household and somebody is, we have different religions. If you live in an intergenerational household where it's you and your children and their family, then you've got all kinds of value, difference, and interest. You have to find a way to bridge those things. How How do we unite as a household and then go and unite with our neighbors and then unite with our neighborhood? to determine what is our common needs and our common interests so that we can then begin to fight for those things together. This is always and will always be about food, clothing, shelter, safety. People can say anything they want, but I'm telling you what everybody's fighting for, including the wealthiest people in the world, to have access to food, clothing, shelter, safety, and general security. How do we get these things? Malcolm X says control the economics, the politics, and the culture where you live. How do you do these things? You got to get control of the land, labor, and resources where you live. How do you do these things? You have to organize to invest the capital that you have in common and the interests that you have in common. How do you do those things? You've got to sit down with somebody and begin the process of uniting. <clears throat> you can do it as a study group. I then we're going to study electoral politics in our neighborhood. We're going to study how the city council in our neighborhood works. We're going to study how the state assembly in our neighborhood works. We're going to study how the school board works. Start with study groups. And it's just you and your neighbors can do once a week in either of your households. But it's about unity. If you do not unite around common interests by addressing the basic fundamental needs of the community, food, clothing, shelter, safety, and security, economic politics, and culture, land, labor, and resources, being controlled by you and yours, those are the common interests. You can say anything else you want to say. Talk about being the architect, the doctor. If you're going to be an architect, to go live in the white community instead of white people. You have nothing to do with us. You, you, you're an enemy to your people because you're going to become a part of what is exploiting them. If you're going to be an architect so that you can come back and help build the black community, then you must unite those in the black community who are not architects, who are not doctors, who are not lawyers. You know, We become these grand professionals in our community and our family fight for us to get there. But the first thing we do when we come home with that great degree and those
2: professional degrees. we pack our bags and move into another ethnic group's community. Yeah, Dr. Wilson said we're playing on the white side of the chessboard, but hold that thought right there. Uh, Professor Small, the sister Fahima's got a question for you, and also we want to get an update on the Godfather of Harlem, the intelligence series that you're a consultant on, but we got to take a short break. Family, you want to join this conversation with Professor Small, reach out to us at 800 450 78 76, your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Hey, good morning once again, family. 21 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Professor James Small. Before we go back to him, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with University of Houston's uh, History and Africana Studies professor, Gerald Horn, will be here. Dr. Horn will join us. And tomorrow, Friday, so we'll give you another chance to free your mind, think for yourself, and reach out to us on our Open Phone Friday program. Begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Professor Smalls, Sister Fahima is joining us. She's online too, calling from Washington, D.C. She says she has a question for you. Good morning, Sister Fahima. Good morning, Sister. Thank
8: you, Mr. Nell, for taking my call. And hold up to you, Dr. Smalls. I have a question, and this is related to your consulting on the Bumpy Johnson uh, film series. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have a friend, uh, he's not listening. He can listen to the replay back. Casper Holstein, could you talk about Casper Holstein and his relationship to Bumpy Johnson, if any? And so my friend can go back and listen to your response uh, if he's not listening now.
3: Well, my response is going to be that of ignorance. I don't know what the relationship to, of Casper Holstein to Bumpy Johnson
8: Oh, because they were contemporaries and I understood they were rivals, and I thought maybe you might have known some nuances and, you know, um, you know, in, more insight than what's been written.
3: Yeah, because most of all of the white gangsters, Jewish and Italian.
8: No, and no, Pastor Holstein was a black man. No, he no, he wasn't white.
3: Was white. Oh, I know who you're talking about. He worked with. Did that Schultz, is this the one that worked with that Schultz? I,
8: I, I have heard his name in passing, but he was, uh, he, I understand that Bumpy Johnson and Castle Holstein were rivals, but this is a black man. He's not He's yeah, not a white man. Oh,
3: I don't know his, I know, I know vaguely about him. I don't know whether he's that much of a rival because Bumpy Johnson didn't have, he had, he had rivals There was one brother, Red, who shot him. But, right, uh, and and got away. He didn't he didn't kill the guy because he felt it was a principal shooting. Um, and and Red's grandson worked with us initially. He passed a few months ago. Um, but I don't know the. I think you're talking about the young man who was the the contemporary. He worked with Dutch Schultz.
8: Perhaps Dutch Schultz. he was he was like born in late 1800s and died in 1946. And I was reading that he. Um, was somewhat of a rival uh, to Bumpy Johnson?
3: Well, there was a lot of rivals. There was a lot of other black gangsters that was rivaling um, Johnson. And almost all of them were connected to white gangsters because even Johnson had to be connected to white gangsters. There was no exclusive black control. Johnson had probably the largest, the widest um, monopoly on black control of the numbers after him and the young lady parted because she left the country when the threats got to be too much. Um, and Johnson had the largest, but they were, even during the whole period of Bumpy Johnson's life, they were other black gangsters. And almost all of them were attached to some white gangster. And right. all of them were rivaling for Harlem. But I think Casper sees the one I'm thinking about. He was connected to the Jeff Schultz machine, but he would eventually work with Johnson um, over some period of time. I mean, because rival, you're really talking about geography. You know, you're talking about who's controlling this piece of the geography of what is called Harlem. 110th Street, 155th Street from St. Nicholas Avenue um, over to um, Fifth Avenue. Fifth Avenue, you got the Italians. The Italians just left Harlem yesterday. They're actually still there. Uh, but then the Italians, before you had a Little Italy, Little Italy was um North oh, Eastern Harlem.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And so everybody had these different relationships. But you're going to make me now go look up Casper, but I think I, if I'm, my brain is trying to bring him back in. But he was working with the Schultz machine, which was controlling the Bronx, and wanted to control Harlem, and did try to take control of, of Harlem for a while. Because Schultz was big enough to be sitting on the Mafia's Commission, but when he double-crossed that Commission, that's when they had him eliminated. And most of the blacks who was with him would eventually work with Johnson.
8: Course, well, I'm going to sure. send you what I do have, um, uh, yeah, what so I did I, dig up I, from my friend on Casper.
2: Yeah, and,
8: and I'll, I'll call, call and, and, I, I'll, I'll and I'll, I'll call you. I okay.
2: All right. Thank you, Sister no, Fahima. I
8: was, uh, no, I was telling Dr. Small that I'll send him what I have on uh, yeah. Casper and then I'll call okay. you because I need to talk to you about something.
3: Okay.
2: All right. All right. Thank Can you, Sister me? Fahima. Uh, 16 away from the topic. Since we was speaking about the Godfather of Harlem, Is, has it been renewed yet, Professor Small?
3: Yeah. I we, we, uh, had my first meeting with the writers yesterday. On Tuesday, I had the first meeting. And this is the second meeting of the writers' workshops. I met with the writers, the executive producer, and the showrunners. So we can kind of try to figure out where we're going. I told them I was going to be on your show. But they told me, well, I couldn't say yet.
2: <laughs> so so what can you Malcolm. say? What can you share with us about it? What's coming yeah. up?
3: Well, we know Malcolm has died in the last episode. So the... They've already granted a season four, and Disney has already approved season five. So they do see it going forward. We know that the the show is the highest-grossing show in Europe right now, and it's at the 70 percent percentile in America since Hulu picked it up. So it's a big deal that had been suppressed initially, but with Hulu it has, like, really blown open. So we now to try to figure out how to go forward. Without giving you details, we'll probably be looking at the Black Panther Party replacing that spot on radical politics that Malcolm was in
2: okay Uh, let me ask you so for you as a consultant are you there at the table read or do they call you or they send you the script before the the table read when they you know when they get ready to to, do do the production
3: like like yesterday i was sitting Tuesday, i was sitting with all of the writers giving them a three-hour lecture on the history of that period and they and let me have a list of books at least 30 40 books on the history of that period, the fundamental players of that period um, that everybody needs to read and study um, to get prepared to, to launch. Because we know this is fiction and history married together. So how do we marry it so they could tell their fictional story? But we don't defame the history of Black people in the process. So my brother yeah. to keep that marriage um, working so that it makes sense that you can see the history while participating in the fiction because it is fictional you know yeah, even though a lot of it is just horrible. a lot right. of
2: elements. And, and, and let me just say this it was tasteful how you handled the assassination of Malcolm X and you know because some people just some people are adamant you know that it was only the uh, nation of Islam was complicit there was nobody else it was just some, it was some angry uh, disgruntled brothers who, who took out Malcolm but you showed it you showed the total picture, and some, even now some people still still won't move budge off that that it was just some some members of the nation that are just upset or angry or jealous or whatever, but you showed the total picture so so I'm, i know that you, your hand was at work when that was with that particular scene those scenes yeah,
3: we actually talked about that a little bit yesterday, you know tuesday uh the 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 executive producer was telling him how you know he had another idea, but I came in them in another direction on how to conclude that piece. Um and a brother, Jim, who's an Italian uh produce executive producer, works so closely with this and um what's his name? Forrest Whittaker, you know, backs my play almost a hundred percent. You know, I gotta I gotta give it to him. Um he's been one of the most supportive person. Um that I've dealt with in the film and then Brother James. Um, Everybody on the staff, extraordinarily, this is a group of people who have worked together. I've worked with a lot of teams over the years. This team has worked together in an extraordinary fashion to try and really bring a product forward that makes sense and that tells a story of a, individual who were among his people, but the events of the time being as accurate as we can get the events. Now, his conversation and dialogue may be fictional, but his presence in the event is real, right? Like uh, an example, Malcolm invites Speedo to come to Harlem. But Malcolm don't have any money, so Malcolm's got to go to his friend, the gangster, Bumpy Johnson. So Bumpy Johnson pays for the Teresa Hotel for Fidel Castro. That's real. That's history. That really happened. Now, the dialogue that's, that's ensued, that may be fiction on most of the dialogue because we don't know what the man had to say. But the event and the players, that's all history, actual. But so we try to do a lot of that through the actual history, and then place the fictitious characters and their dialogue into that, but try to stay true to the message of history. Oh, you know, wow. if you see the dialogue with Adam Powell and Johnson in the Oval Office. That really happened. Now, was the dialogue exactly that, but Adam and him having a little drink and cussing each other out a little bit? Maybe, maybe not, but both of them were quite capable of doing that. But it was Adam Clayton Powell who was the author of those civil rights legislation that Johnson was trying to get passed. But because Powell was involved in this conflict with this woman who was suing him, he was not invited to the signing of his own bill. And Dr. King and others historically would get credit for something that Adam Clayton Powell, Jr. did. And so we wanted to tell that this was really Adam.
2: I just gotta say, I think it's one of the the most, the best one of the best. Uh, whether it's fiction or real, or whatever, it's one of the best that I've seen on television. Having said that, though, has it won any awards yet? You know, we're in awards season. Has it, has it picked up anything, or was it being ignored?
1: Won.
3: I think they won only one Emmy. We should have won more, but I think it was too black for the industry. It was just um, a little bit too black, achieving too black, too much black success. Um. Normally, the the black part ends up in fatalism and defeat. And the Godfather, we were coming out victorious every week, right? You shoot a black man, we shoot two white men. You steal my stuff, we take your whole thing down. Um, And I think it was just, even for the owners themselves, they were afraid of the end product that was produced. And it wasn't until the world started saying, we like this, you know, that they're beginning to turn around. You know, when they looked up in Europe and said, oh, my God, this is the highest-grossing TV show in Europe right now. This is at the 70th percentile in America right now, and we haven't put out a piece in over almost two years, right? In a year plus. And so we go back in the studios in April. So that means we'll probably be back on... TV by June. Um, it's gonna be hot and moving fast. We're still gonna stay true to when the Black Underground meets the Civil Rights Movement. We're still gonna tie the political events of the Black community in with the 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 relationship of Bumpy Johnson trying to take the Black community back from the White Mafia.
2: And, and I take it it shoots in in New York, right? Yes, yes, primarily. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a you can tell the difference with, with uh, people in the business can tell the difference with uh, production that's in New York and, and one that's done in Hollywood. Because you see the same Hollywood faces when it's done out on the West Coast. You see a lot of new faces when when you see it uh, when it's done on the East Coast. So that I really appreciate that part of it because we've got a lot of good actors, but you know they they a lot of them on the East Coast that stay on Broadway. You know well, the West Coast, to do, do TV and, and movies. But we do have great, like, that's what I like about your show. You know, we don't see the same same folks showing up and playing different roles.
3: Right, and you're going to see um, some new young people coming in, and you're going to see some that was extraordinary that already have a history continuing forward. So it's going to be a very, I think it's going to it's gonna come out being harder than ever before. Um, Because the black community in the 66, 67, 68, that's the period we're going to be looking at. um, You got a lot of things happening. You got SNCC in New York. You got Rap Brown living in it, um, working out at Teresa Hotel, running SNCC. You got the Black Black Panther Party under Mamba Shakur, Zaid Shakur, um, Asada Shakur, Beanie Shakur, Tupac's mom. All of this is happening at the same time
9: that we are talking about.
3: You know, yeah,
2: hold I that thought right know. there. We got some folks who want to talk to you, Professor Small. I know we're running out of time, but we got to take a quick break here at six minutes away from the top of the app. We're back in four minutes, though. Eric in Forestfield has a question for you right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450, WOL, where information is power. <laughs> All good morning, once again, family. A minute after the top of the hour, momentarily speaking with uh, Doctor Gerald Horn from Houston, and if you can show up on your questions with Doctor Small, we appreciate it. Got a bunch of folks who got questions for you, Professor Small. Let's start with Eric on line three, calling from Forestville in Maryland. Eric, your question for uh, Doctor Small.
6: Good morning, Mister Nelson, and thank you for taking my call, and thank you for having Doctor Smalls on your show, Classroom Brother. Um, my question is, it may sound kind of silly, but Uh, Is there something in the DNA of people like Clarence Thomas, uh, Ben Carson, and the latest one, um, Tim Scott, and a host of others? Is there something in their DNA that caused them to sell out to the extent that they have and and double down when questioned about uh, why they're doing such things as that? And uh, you know, I, I saw all the heat that he's taken and rightfully deserved. I'm talking about um, uh, Tim Scott. So is it something that DNA to make them do what they do? They have a commonality I see that they all uh, made it up with uh, Europeans. But that's mm-hmm. my question to Doctor right. Small. Thanks, Eric. Uh, well,
2: thank you. Well, I right.
6: think it's DNA as much as
3: it is value system and belief. Um, what Scott just did is just. Disrespectful, his betrayal uh, that the governor appointed him to Congress. He had worked with the governor. The least he could have done was not endorse anybody right away, but to turn against that woman who had raised him up. That is just so unprincipled. Uh, this is the most unprincipled thing I've ever seen a black politician do. Um, As for Ben Carson, I don't know much about Mr. Carson. You know, his life, other than what we saw him as he was working with the Trump administration, and then he just kind of disappeared after Trump was out of office. You didn't hear any more about him. Mr. Thomas, I think sometimes we give him a bad deal because he married a white woman, and that trial that came where the black woman accused him uh, I never quite understood what he was being accused of by her, um, making a pass at her, but I knew that that wasn't that black woman. That was the really the Jewish community who wanted that Supreme Court seat for themselves because they thought they owned Thurgood Marshall, and Thurgood Marshall seat was a Jewish seat and not a black seat. I'm going to be straight up, straight ahead. And they finally got their person on the on the Supreme Court. But they went after Clarence Thomas. The black community did not go after Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas is a conservative, I think, is a little too conservative. He was raised basically by the Catholic Church and the Catholic Jesuits. And that's what you are seeing in terms of value system. But we're talking about value system and cultural beliefs and religious and theological beliefs that these people hold. Thomas is be the most. Um, significant when it comes to looking at his religious beliefs and the value system and how he was raised by the church like I said Carson I don't know very much about him other than that he was a hell of a surgeon as a person I know nothing about it but right. Scott I saw his behavior and that was just unprincipled no matter what you ratio and it was unprincipled
2: all right five after topic. let's go to line four brother Muhammad's in Washington DC as a question or a comment for you real quick brother Muhammad Salam alaykum, my brother.
10: Well like, salam, so good morning, gentlemen. Uh I was just gonna add um oh. a little uh background to to um the godfather of Harlem uh, from a from the nation's perspective. Yes, um there was a there was a brother the brothers used to go to construction sites wearing all white a construction site wearing all white and a red bow tie. Okay, and at one of these construction sites controlled by the mafia one of the brothers got into a fight with the son of, of a mafia don. This is a true story. You, you, can, look, you can look this up.
0: Um, know, and so the
10: mafia, the mafia was on the phone talking about what they was going to do with this Negro, you know, this this black man. And they said they were going to kidnap him, they were going to torture him, and they were going to kill him. Okay, now these these are mafia dons or the, the head of the families talking, so that the don. Chimes in and he says, "Well, what if they find out it was us?" And he he squashed the whole thing and said, "You know, he just gonna have to take that L because we can't we can't afford to go against the nation. We can't afford to go against the brothers. Okay, that and that's that's document that's on FBI tapes that black people in in the nation Islam punked the mafia. Okay, they just had to take a L because because they couldn't do nothing about it." Because Malcolm has seventy five hundred soldiers within a twenty mile radius of Harlem, New Jersey, mm-hmm. all of that. So there wasn't nobody was pushing up on the nation or Malcolm. Period. Right. Okay. During during that time. Now the second story, and I think there should be a spinoff show. Uh, but the second story is, you know, the the nation don't have any, any problem confronting police and drug dealers, mafia, whoever. And we had meetings with the NYPD about how you were going to conduct yourself regarding our members. And so the, the NYPD decided to disregard those meetings and the structure that we set up, and they rushed up in the the, the, the mosque in Harlem. Right. And the, brothers, that. the mm-hmm. brothers shut the door behind the cops. They took their guns and killed them with their own gun. Okay, this is a I true story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, now Farrakhan was in charge at that time. I think it was 1971. Now, you know, the yeah. SWAT team came and they surrounded the mob. You know how the police do, especially when you kill one of their officers. But Harlem surrounded the SWAT team. Okay, this is mm-hmm. true story. So Farrakhan, they, they, they begged Farrakhan to come out and tell the, the, the uh, Harlem to let the police go in peace. So Farrakhan had to come out the mosque. He got up on a cop car, stood on a cop car, and told Harlem to let the police go home in peace with their dead officers. And to this day, they want to name where the mosque is after those officers that were killed in that raid. And then the next day, Farrakhan got on the on the radio and he told the police not to come into Harlem for the next three days because Harlem was was on edge. And for the next three days... White officers, white NYPD, were not allowed in Harlem. So, you know, that, that story needs to be told.
2: Yeah. Well, thank okay. you for sharing that with us, Brother Mohammed. Professor if, Small?
3: If you saw the whole, I know it's time to go, but if you saw, I did as much as I could to push the nation up front. Um, because I wanted to show people that the nation was a much more revolutionary organization than anybody knew. And I wanted the young people to see the nation as revolutionaries, and I think we did some of that without using those specific incidents. And that was my whole theme because I didn't—I wasn't in the nation, but I grew up with the nation. I met Malcolm in '63, and so I had a lot of family in the nation. So I knew the nation was no joke. But um, we tried our best to show that in that period when Malcolm was in the nation that the brothers from the FOI did not stand down, that they stood up in in the Godfather.
2: All right, and we thank you for being there because it's one of the most well-produced uh, TV series out there right now. Family, if you haven't seen it, b- go binge watch it, The Godfather of Harlem. Some of you history buffs will like it too. See a lot of references to what you heard about in, in parts of Harlem and parts of New York, period. So it's a great uh, series. So, uh, again, you say we we should be seeing something uh, around summertime or in the fall?
3: Yes, we go back in studio the first week in April, but we're already in the writer's room starting Tuesday, this past Tuesday.
5: Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy, Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
2: All right. Thankfully that you're there for us, uh, Professor Small. Thank you. All right, family. Yes, Thank you, Professor and
3: there's Small. There's going to be a lot of history still in this, and the nation will still be in this in a very good. positive way. All
2: okay. right. Thank you.
3: Oh, all right, brother. Peace and
2: blessings. All right. per- peace and blessing. Professor James Small, he's, he's a consultant on the series The Godfather of Harlem. Ten minutes after the top, they are. Uh, Dr. Gerald Horn, good morning, sir. Thank you for being so patient with us.
11: Thank you for inviting me.
2: Yes, uh, we've been having a conversation with Professor Small, and we talked about the fact too, which one of the issues you want to talk about, whether African Americans should join South Africa in the legal fight against the UK and the US for uh, collaboration, what they did with Israel in uh, Gaza. And I think the, uh, the court is supposed to rule, either today or tomorrow, they're going to have a ruling. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Should we, or should we see this one out? Should we watch? How do you see it?
11: Well, obviously we should join it. This is a no-brainer. Here you have, South Africa, which has dragged Israel into the dock at the International Court of Justice in The Hague for its genocidal campaign in Gaza against Palestinians. they joined as aiders and abettors the governments in Washington and in London. And it seems to me that if we're serious about our own plight, if we're serious about reparations to descendants of enslaved Africans, we have no alternative. We have no choice but to try to piggyback onto this case. Because to the extent that South Africa prevails, and I understand the International Court of Justice will make a preliminary ruling tomorrow, that gives momentum to our case. So I don't even know what the argument is.
2: So you're a lawyer, so what do we do? File a friend of the court brief? How is that how does that work?
11: Well, the the problem with the pursuing the genocide convention at the International Court of Justice is that it's generally just open to states. That's one of the reasons why Israel's charge that it's Hamas that should be before the International Court of Justice has failed, because Hamas is not a state, so it cannot be joined as a party. However, even if technically we cannot file a friend-of-the-court brief, we should do so politically, hold a press conference, gain signatories, etc. I think we have no choice but to pursue that course.
2: That's uh, it's interesting. Uh, but the, the ruling where the court makes a ruling, does it have any teeth?
11: Well, that's the $64 question. What happens is that supposedly it will then go to the Security Council of the United Nations, where the United States will probably veto that particular ICJ opinion. Then presumably it can go to the General Assembly, all 190 plus member states of the United Nations, and depending on how it's worded, it could get a thumbs up. But even there, I think that it provides momentum for further sanctioning Israel. It provides momentum for further isolating Israel and provides momentum, quite frankly, for further isolating the United States to the extent that it chooses to support Israel, which, of course, is up in the air because the United States is suffering immense reputational damage for going along this route of supporting the genocidal criminals in Israel.
2: 13 at the top there. Brother Jay has a question for you. and Family, you want to join our guest? His name is Dr. Gerald Horn. and works at the University of Houston. We're also going to talk some sports with him. Mark i'm even sent a question for Dr. Horn. But we got to take a short break here, at, as I mentioned, at 13 after the top there. I'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and in the DMV. We're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. good morning once again family 200 minutes after the top of the hour I guess Dr. Gerald Horn from the University of Houston and Dr. Horn started off saying whether we should file a friend of the brief court with the International Court of Justice they ruling on whether be, uh, South Africa's request about the collaboration between the U.S. and the U.K. and what's going on in Gaza but the question is should we uh, the, uh, Dr. Horn says we should but the question is that uh, would there be some blowback if, if you know from the Jewish or Jewish mafia or Zionist or whatever term you want to use people here find a friend of the court brief on on behalf of South Africa for what's going on to the brothers and sisters in in uh, Gaza in Palestine is there is that is that a concern or a great concern or should that even be a concern uh, dr horn
11: well look if you're going to go against this corrupt status quo you should expect blowback I mean that's forgiven I mean, there was blowback against marching against apartheid. There was blowback with regard to marching against U.S. apartheid, that is to say U.S. Jim Crow. There was blowback with regard to opposing slavery. So that shouldn't be our primary concern. Our primary concern should be what's in the best interest of our community and what helps to dig us out of this hole in which we find ourselves.
2: Let me say this dr. is one of the few first persons I know who knows how to correctly pronounce it most people say apartheid but it is apart hate that's the correct pronunciation so I gonna pronounce it apartheid so I, I, I am you know I'm just happy that you know how to pronounce it because many people just say apartheid they, they don't get it right but You're one of the few persons who I know who says apartheid. But anyway, having said that, though, there's a lot of stuff going on on the continent, uh, Dr. Horn, We have, uh, uh, let me start first with Ethiopia and Somalia. What is going on between Ethiopia and Somalia?
11: It's very unfortunate, and it may eventuate in a war. What's happening is that about 30 years ago, Ethiopia's main outlet to the sea, speaking of what is now independent Eritrea, seceded. From Ethiopia, after a bitter conflict, it's now an independent state, Ethiopia feels that it needs an outlet to the sea. So therefore, it has gone to this nation we call Somaliland, although it is not recognized internationally. Somaliland is technically part of the larger Somalia, and there is the rub because Ethiopia has worked out a deal whereby it will get access to the Red Sea, to an an outlet uh, to the sea through Somaliland, the larger Somalia objects, objects stridently, in fact, and this may lead the larger Somalia and Ethiopia into a conflict. Now, the power behind the throne, and this is the nation we need to pay closer attention to, is United Arab Emirates. The United Arab Emirates is very close to Somaliland. It's the United Arab Emirates that has... Sponsored the, this conflict in neighboring Sudan, which has led to thousands of deaths. The United Arab Emirates, of course, is a nation we really need to pay more attention to, particularly Abu Dhabi, which is the primary political component of the UAE.
2: All right. And speaking of that area of the of the, of the world, you know, the United States is continuing bombing of uh, Yemen, and Iranians are bombing Pakistan. Are we inching closer to World War III? You know, Mark from Anaheim has been telling us this for years that there's going to be a civil war, and he also says there's possibly a, of a World War III. Do you see the same?
11: It's possible. I mean, I hope not, because that could be the end of all humanity. But certainly with regard to the Yemeni,
6: who have
11: been stopping and attacking U.S. and European vessels, and particularly Israeli vessels, because The Yemenis see themselves as in solidarity with the Palestinians. U.S. and other European nations are trying to traverse the Red Sea, heading to the Suez Canal, to the Israeli port of the lot. That particular route has basically stopped. And so what's happened is that ships are now rerouting around the Cape of Good Hope in southern Africa, which is adding fuel costs to vessels. It's also adding to insurance costs uh, with regard to those who are brave enough to go through the Red Sea. That will probably wind up with inflationary pressure, which is something the United States economy cannot afford because if goods from Asia are taking a longer route to reach the United States, well, then the consumer winds up picking up the tab. And this also illustrates how a supposedly poor nation like Yemen – can effectively sanction richer nations like the United States for their support of Israel's criminality in Gaza.
2: Well, how much of Gaza, what's going on in Gaza now is about oil or, or about, you know, what's co- what the, the, the transaction there? How much of that is that and how much is it just because they, they said that uh, the, the people in Gaza attacked Israel? How much? But how much do we know if that was true, or is this a false flag? How much of it do what we know?
11: Well, recent reports has suggested that of the eleven hundred deaths in Israel that have been attributed to Hamas of Gaza, a significant portion may have come from so called friendly fire from the Israeli forces, because the Israeli forces, quite frankly, freaked out. They did not necessarily Uh, contemplate that uh, Hamas could move so aggressively. And there is a so-called Hannibal Doctrine in Israel that frowns upon having Israelis taken hostage, and therefore they went in with all guns blazing. And so this is something that eventually will be investigated in Israel. I dare say that Prime Minister Netanyahu is a dead man walking politically which means that he has to continue this war because the longer the war continues, the longer he can stay in office because he's facing corruption charges that could lead to him serving hard time in prison. The problem for the Israelis is that, as evidenced by the fact that 21 Israeli soldiers were killed just the other day, that they are not necessarily prevailing in this war. Now, to be sure, they are killing numerous uh, Gazan civilians, particularly women and children, 25,000 Gazans killed thus far. But that just seems to be an act of bloody vengeance and revenge without any sort of political goal in mind. And therefore, it will only end in tears.
2: Yeah, 28 after the top of the hour. Netanyahu says that he's not in favor of a Palestinian state. And this is sending the shutters uh, through the Arab world because he's basically saying he wants to wipe out all the Palestinians. Uh, your response to what that is, is that a declaration of war then against the the Arab nations? How do you see it?
11: The problem right now is that a goodly number of the Jewish population of Israel, keep in mind that about 20% of the population of Israel is actually Arab, but the all-important Jewish population is generally speaking united against the idea of a Palestinian state. In fact, polls suggest that the Jewish population of Israel is not necessarily upset with this genocide that's unfolding in Gaza and, in fact, increasingly is creeping into the West Bank, the other part of the Palestinian territories. And so when Mr. Netanyahu stands against the idea of a Palestinian state, he has a lot of Jewish Israelis behind him, and, and there, there is the rub. Because the Arab states, particularly Saudi Arabia, are offering Israel a deal in return for acceding to a Palestinian state. They will recognize Israel. That will lead to a blossoming of commerce and business. But the problem is Netanyahu. The problem is the support he gets from Jewish Israelis.
2: Yeah, but what about the rest of the world? Because I'm I'm sure the rest of the world is not going to go along with that. Do you think they'll go along with them wiping out an entire country?
11: Well, that is the question. The problem here is is the United States of America. You you might have noticed that Mr. Biden is under pressure. He tried to give this speech in Virginia the other day, kicking off his presidential campaign, focusing on abortion rights. But there were those in the audience who were calling for a ceasefire and interrupted him uh, numerous times. The problem is that the Zionist community, as you know more than most, is very uh, powerful in this country they engineered the sacking of the first black president of harvard speaking of the daughter of haitian immigrants Claudine gate, they engineered the sacking of the president of university of pennsylvania now they're going after the uh, president of cornell university in ithaca new york and so the zionist community is intimidating a lot of folks into being silent you might have seen what happened at columbia university just the other day in new york City where pro-Palestinian protesters were attacked with some sort of chemical uh, that had a very noxious impact on their health. And that has not received publicity. Imagine what would have happened if pro-Israeli supporters had been attacked by pro-Palestinian protesters. Uh, This is part of the problem in the United States right now.
2: Yeah, that's a question I want to ask you, too, because we know their influence here in the United States. But what about the U.K.? What about France and Germany? Do they have the same juice over there?
11: Not as much as the United States, but certainly powerful. Recall what happened to Jeremy Corbyn, the head of the Labor Party, the number two party in Britain, the party that will probably sweep in the next elections in the U.K., recall that he was accused of being anti-Jewish. He was called, accused of being overly supportive of the Palestinians. He lost his leadership post uh, in the Labor Party. Uh, There were moves to expel him from the Labor Party and anybody who thought like him. France has one of the largest Jewish communities outside of Israel itself. Uh, President Macron uh, has been uh, quite supportive of Israel, although, once again, he speaks out of both sides of his mouth. So he has made noises with regard to criticisms of Israel, certainly in Europe. In general, there is a lot of noise with regard to opposition to Netanyahu, but the noise does not materialize into action. In fact, the locomotive of the European Union, speaking of Germany, is probably Israel's major supporter outside of the United States of America.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
2: Interesting. Here at 29 away from the top of the hour with Dr. Gerald Horn. and we're going to talk politics as well, because uh, this is, as you mentioned, this is a, sort of a, a problem for Joe Biden and, and people are calling for, you know, they're calling for a ceasefire, as you mentioned, at a campaign stop. And he's, it seems like if you look at the map, he has problems with uh, one of the key states in Michigan. Is there a way back for, for Joe Biden with all these problems that he's got? How do you see it?
11: It depends on events unfolding in the next few weeks and next few months. As you know, the electorate in the United States does not have a long memory, and that includes the black community itself, I'm afraid to say. And so if we can somehow wind down this war in Gaza, uh, that'll be like mana from heaven from, for Joe Biden. And I think Israel has an interest in winding down this war, as I said. Yeah, they're not necessarily winning in this war. Israel needs a cease The the problem is that Mr. Netanyahu and his base have set for themselves goals that cannot be obtained, such as destroying Hamas, uh, de-radicalizing the West Bank and Gaza, which basically means turning them into puppets uh, for Israel. That's not going to happen. So there's the rough. Israel needs a ceasefire. Biden needs a ceasefire. Hamas will accept the ceasefire. But that does not necessarily mean it'll happen.
2: Right, because they have told them there's a ceasefire for two months if they let go all their hostages. But if they do, that's their trump card. And if they let the hostages go, they don't have anything to negotiate with. Do they think uh, uh, the Hamas is going to buy that?
11: Well, I think it's possible because in return, Israel will release hundreds, if not thousands, of Palestinians now rotting away in Israeli jail. Recall that in the past, Israel, in return for the release of one Israeli soldier, has released hundreds of Palestinian prisoners. And so Hamas may go for that. And I think Hamas is really well prepared militarily. If, if you watch the videos, which you can find uh, online, uh, there, Really, inflicting major damage on the Israeli army. That, that's really the secret of this conflict because Israel has not been forthcoming and talking about its casualties. The United States press has not been forthcoming in terms of reporting on Israeli casualties. But Israel has suffered grievously, uh, which is no minor matter for a country with a population of about 9 million. And of course, 20% of that, as noted, is of Palestinian origin. And so, Israel is bleeding profusely, and they need a ceasefire, but I'm not sure if they will accede to a ceasefire.
2: All right, hold that thought right there, uh, Dr. Horn. we got to take a short break here at 26 away from the top of the hour. I'll be back in four minutes. You want to join this conversation with Dr. Horn? Reach out to us at 800 450 7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 21 minutes away from the top there with our guest, Dr. Gerald Horn, who works at the University of Houston. I see Bob's got a question for him. We get to that momentarily. Let me just remind family that we'll. Be here tomorrow and give you another chance to free your mind. Join us for another edition of Open Phone Friday. Think for yourself and reach out to us. We get started at 6 a.m. Eastern time, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. For in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Before we speak to Bob, though, let, let me ask you this, uh, 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 Professor Horn: Are you concerned that what you say, because you know these conversations? They don't allow people to have these conversations. The powers that be—you mentioned—they're going—they—they they, they went after the uh, president of Harvard and uh, MIT was the old school pen, and now they're going after Cornell. You on the your campus? Are you concerned they may try to silence you for what you say? Of course, but here's the issue. You know, I've been on
11: unpaid leave since 2020, since the pandemic. I've just been researching and writing books, but. In my neighborhood, where I reside in Houston just the other day, there was a Nazi demonstration with signs, with swastikas, with placards reading, make America white again, believe it or not. So you also know, I'm sure, that there is a movement in Texas to secede from the United States. There's a lot of bitter back and forth between the Texas leaders and Washington over the Supreme Court ruling that Texas had to remove barbed wire from the border with Mexico, which was leading to folks drowning in the Rio Grande uh, as they were trying to cross into the United States. This is a a very dire situation here in Texas, which may ultimately force me to leave.
2: Yeah, because they don't they don't want to have these discussions. You know, if we have the discussions, they want one of their folks in there, and the discussions, it seems just one-sided. It's just like the news we get out of the region seems one-sided. We, you know, we shouldn't touch this. We shouldn't even talk about this. We've probably got some folks upset with us right now for having this conversation. So I'm, I'm just saying that because I know that you, uh, as a professor, they're on the fire, too, because they don't want you to t- be teaching our your people what you're teaching them. To, uh, uh, th- uh, 180 degrees of what's what's going on in the Middle East, the so-called Middle East, You because know, they just want to—they they have a voice, and if you listen— so it, it seems all homogenized coming out to this side of the world, and then if you read different uh, overseas newspapers and, and a different get your information from, you'll see another side of what's really going on. I'm glad you're here to provide that information so we can get a full scope of what's actually going on in the so-called Middle East. Anyway, as I mentioned, Bob's got a question for you at 18 away from the top there. He's on line one. Good morning, Bob.
1: Yes, good day, sir. Uh, my question is: Brother Malcolm suggested at one point that that we, as black folks here in America, take uh, our quite our mistreatment before the war, war world body. Uh, I was wondering whether Doctor Horn feels that that is a time that has passed, or whether we can find any sort of justice by taking our mistreatment historically before the world body.
11: Well. As you know, that was attempted in 1950 in a campaign led by Paul Robeson, which, of course, helped to contribute to his downfall. That is to say, an attempt to drive him out of U.S. life. But that is one of the reasons why we need to support the South African case in the world court with regard to Israel, because we will need a state like South Africa to bring our plight before the world court. And if we sit on our hands while South Africa is battling Israelis in the United States and Britain at The Hague, well, then what incentive would these South Africans or any other state have for taking our plight to the World Court? court? So, yes, that is still a live issue given the rates of police uh, killings of our community, the death penalty, infant mortality rates. We have a credible case for genocide to be put before the world court, and that is what we should pursue.
1: Thank you, sir.
2: All right. Thanks, Bob. You know, back to the campaign, uh, uh, Dr. Horn. a lot of folks are dis- dissatisfied with both of the candidates that are up there, and this is where it's going to, you know, we're going to need people like yourself, critical thinkers like yourself. How we should we approach it? Because some people say they're going to sit it out, they're not going to vote, and a lot of people saying that, by the way, because they, they don't like either candidate, but what do you say? How do we how do we approach this? You know, should we sit it out? Should should we vote down ballot or, or, or and just leave what happens to happen and 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 you know just force the Democrats to 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 listen to what we have been saying because for the most part people say they've been ignoring us. What do you say?
11: Well, fortunately, the United States presidential race is not one race; There's fifty different races. That is to say, you can get the most votes that Hillary Clinton can well a test, and still lose because of the fact of how the Electoral College operates. And so in about 40 states, we already know what the result will be. For example, in Texas, we know that the orange man, Agent Orange, Mr. Trump, will prevail. And so in a state like Texas, there's little downside risk with regard to casting a ballot for a third party ditto for California, a ditto for the District of Columbia. Most likely that's true for Maryland as well. So I think that in those states where you already know what the result in November should be, you should vote strategically. You should vote for a third party in order to gain momentum for a political party that will be outspoken in favor of reparations to the descendants of enslaved Africans that may even go as far as supporting our taking a case to the Hague on charges of genocide, Uh, I I think it's evident and clear what we should do. Now, what we will do is another question.
2: All right. Since you mentioned the Electoral College and the third party, if the third parties are successful, they come in and they siphon off enough votes and neither candidate gets enough to be elected president, does this does this uh, this is a private constitutional question for you, and I know you're an attorney, so you could probably you know, I know you know the answer. Does this throw this back to the states then that the states would have to vote? How does that work?
11: Well, it goes into the House. That's what they were trying to do uh, with regard to uh, January sixth. Uh, they were trying to uh, keep the electoral college from operating. Recall that uh, Mike Pence was at the rostrum. Uh, seeking to record the votes when there was that insurrection uh, that erupted. But this Electoral College, uh, if we had our druthers, it really should be abolished. It really should be whoever gets the most votes wins. Because even if, for example, in a state like Colorado, let's say that Mr. Biden wins, let's say that there are electors pledged to cast their vote for Mr. Biden, There is this phenomenon known as faithless electors where they may decide that, no, uh, we're not going to cast our electoral college votes for Mr. Biden. And then there is this other cockamamie constitutional theory that irrespective of how a state votes, let's say the North Carolina uh, votes for Mr. Biden, the legislature will say that our interpretation, their interpretation of the Constitution is that. The state legislature in Raleigh should mandate that all electoral college votes should be cast in favor of Agent Orange. So this is this very weird presidential contraption that we have called the electoral college, and it opens up all sorts of possibilities for foul play and misdeeds.
2: All right, thirteen away from the top. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Colorado, and and there's a move afoot to keep Trump off the ballot. And and I just want you to talk about that constitutionally. Are they correct? Because some people say they don't have they don't have the jurisdiction. I know California said it's it, I don't know if it was a cop out, but they said they don't have the jurisdiction to keep Trump off the ballot. How do you see that going forward? Do you think more states will, will decide that you know he, because of, because of what happened on January six and all the charges that he's facing? Because then the other issue too that he hasn't been convicted. So how do you see the, this mess? Because that's what it is. Well,
11: what's happening is that a number of states are looking at the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which, from a clear reading, says that if you're engaged in an insurrection, then that casts into doubt whether or not you should be allowed to be an officer of the state. And that's the position that was taken by the high court in Colorado. Other states are taking a different interpretation. They say it's anti-democratic to keep Mr. Trump off the ballot. Therefore, the case will be decided by the U.S. Supreme Court, given the fact that Mr. Trump has appointed three members of the high court, given the fact that there is a six to three conservative majority uh, on the U.S. Supreme Court. It's a fair guess that Mr. Trump's claim will be upheld, despite the fact that the conservative majority say that they believe in an originalist interpretation, that is to say, look at the plain meaning. Of the Constitution, the plain meaning of the Constitution says that Mister Trump should not be allowed to be on the ballot. That does not necessarily mean that he will be kept off the ballot. All
2: right. If, if it does go to the Supreme Court, which is, it's on its way to the Supreme Court shortly, Clarence Thomas should he recuse himself? You know, because there's some connection to January 6th with him with his wife. Should he recuse himself?
11: He should recuse himself because. It leaves a very bad odor that his wife is a Republican Party activist and that we know that he's deeply influenced by his spouse. The question is, will he? I don't think he will, because Mr. Thomas feels that he has mass support in the Republican Party base, which is a fair assumption.
2: And you mentioned that the the Supreme Court ruled against Texas, though, on on the border issue, with with the wire, Bob Wire, on the border. Do you think that they would rule the same way when it comes to Donald Trump? Because that surprised some folks.
11: Well, believe it or not, I think that the border issue was an easy issue for the uh, Supreme Court. As a matter of fact, I was surprised they even got four votes. The conservatives got four votes because it's clear that Washington has oversight over migration and integration and immigration into the United States of America. Uh, Texas does not have plenary authority there. But this was just this not-so-subtle move by Texas to move towards secession. As a matter of fact, secession may be on the ballot either this year or certainly in coming years. Recall that Texas was an independent state, beginning in 1836 up until 1845, and there are those in the conservative movement in Texas who would like to see what they call Texas, an analog to Brexit, Britain leaving the European Union. And so this idea of challenging the United States over immigration and having, in fact, uh, clashes between the U.S. Border Patrol and the Texas Rangers on the border, this was reminiscent of what happened in 1860, just before the U.S. Civil War. When the South was seeking to secede from the United States because they were upset that the United States was not cracking down on Mexico because Mexico was accepting um, enslaved Africans were fleeing across the border. Now the show is on the other foot. Uh, Texas is upset because Mexicans uh, are coming into the United States.
2: Well, how much of this, uh, uh, Dr. Sm- Dr. Small, Dr. Horn, is is this posturing by Abbott? Is, is this, uh, is, he's trying to figure a way how to get into, get on the platform presidentially. He wants to, you know, be part of the conversation, maybe if not uh, th- this year, definitely in four more years. How much of it is this political and not really con- concerned about, uh, you know, immigration, re- really?
11: that there is a mass base in Texas full, that that basically amounts to anti and anti-Mexican sentiment. Uh, uh, keep in mind that there's been a lot of loose talk in Texas about the necessity to invade Mexico. Supposedly, uh, Mexico has been lax not only in terms of keeping its nationals uh, out of the United States, but also supposedly in spurring this. Senegal crisis, this drug crisis, this drug epidemic. And as we speak, Governor Abbott is overseas, supposedly on a business mission, but there are those who suggest that he's trying to gin up diplomatic and political support for Texas, for Texas, that is to say Texas exiting from the United States of America. So I think it should be taken very seriously.
2: All right, hold that thought right there. We've got to take a short break. Mark from Anaheim sent me a question for you. I'll let you respond when we get back. Family, you want to join this conversation with Dr. Gerald Horn? Reach out to us at 800 450 7876. That's 800 450 7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. For are in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, Or information is power. <laughs> And good morning once again. Family minute after the top of there. hour, our guest from the University of Houston, Dr. Gerald Horn. Uh, Mark Lanham sent a, a question for you, Dr. Horn. We'll get to it momentarily. But since we're on, immigration has replaced the economy as is, is a top issue for voters because the economy is sort of rebounding right now. The immigration issue, can you s- explain to our audience why so many people are streaming coming up uh, from the, uh, on the southern border?
11: It's a problem in part Of bad economy for example in a country like Venezuela which has lost about a third of its population that have left why because the United States has placed sanctions on Venezuela because they don't like the government of Nicolas Maduro or his predecessor uh, Mr. Chavez and that leaves few options but for people to head north people are walking hundreds if not thousands of miles believe it or not and when they get to Texas what's happening is that Governor Abbott is busing these people to Denver, to Chicago, to New York. Those who reach Florida, you might recall the Governor DeSantis, sent them on a plane to Martha's Vineyard uh, in Massachusetts. And so this is putting pressure on the municipal economies. You've had nine Democratic governors, including the governor of New York, who've made an appeal to President Biden to send more aid because you have people migrant. In New York, as recently as a week or so ago, who are basically sleeping in the snow, uh, some without shoes, for example. So it's obviously a crisis, and it's something that needs to be addressed.
2: And it's been a crisis for for decades now. Why hasn't it been addressed? Each administration kicks a can down the road, and now they, it's a political you know it's a political issue for this particular administration. And some sometimes they're trying to play the immigrants against us, as we see in Chicago where people, you've got a group called End for Trumps and begging Donald Trump to come in and take over Chicago because they feel what whatever was for black Americans in Chicago is now going to the immigrants. So as, as African Americans, how do we deal with that?
11: Well, with regard to your previous question, what's happening is there's a lot of demagogy on the part of the Republicans because if the issue is resolved or at least moves towards resolution, That takes away a club that they can use against their political opponent. With regard to our community, we need to realize that our situation, as suggested by taking our plight to the world court, is not necessarily ideal. It was not so long ago we were seeking exile in Mexico. We were migrating, trying to cross the border into Mexico. The way things are going, that situation may recur, and I don't think it serves. Our interest to be bashing Mexico or to be bashing Latin America as a whole or to be bashing migrants from Latin America when the shoe might be on the other foot within the next year or two or
2: three Mark Ranaheim says hello he says he's been warning us since 1992 that this nation was headed towards authoritarian fascism He has reminded us that while Germany surrendered during World War II, the Nazis did not. Most of them fled to South America, uh, South America, the United States, throughout Europe. Now he says, now nations like Hungary and Argentina have hardcore fascist leaders who Donald Trump often cites as great leaders. Mark, would like you to define fascism in a way that the average person can understand.
11: Well. Number one, fascism would combine the worst elements of slavery and Jim Crow. Fascism is the tyrannical dictatorial rule of the most reactionary sector of the populace. It will have a base within the 1%. And notice the other day that Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase uh, fundamentally endorsed uh, Mr. Trump. Although he had been thought to be a pro Biden man, keep in mind as well that fascism in the United States would not just be the rule of a tyrannical leader like Mr. Trump, but it also has a mass base. I'm, I'm talking to you once again from Texas, where there is a mass base for fascist like policies. So certainly, Mark Anaheim has a point when he raises the alarm because. Fascism will not just be the dictatorship of an individual. It will be the dictatorship of an individual with a mass base. And Mr. Trump certainly has a mass base. 74 million people voted for him in 2020.
2: Can you explain, though? because, you know, people, I talk to folks in the UK quite a bit, and, and, and they, they're puzzled how Americans can nominate a person or elect a person of Donald Trump's ilk. They're just bewildered. they just, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know much about U.K. politics, but how come you guys elected Donald Trump? Did, you know, they're always questioning me. Do, do black folks support Donald Trump or what he says and what he's done?
0: Can you answer that question for them?
5: Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy, Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
11: Well, the black community is the demographic that's less supportive, least supportive of Mr. Trump. The most uh, inflated polls suggest that perhaps 18% of the black community supports Mr. Trump. Uh, I think that that's inflated. But if the black community was to have its say exclusively, Mr. Trump would not be running for president, uh, he would probably be in an orange jumpsuit to complement his orange hair. I think that the base in Mr. Trump's party that votes for him, they would like to turn back the clock. That's part of this demagogic campaign against diversity, uh, equity and inclusion, which is sweeping the country right now. That's an attempt to purge black folks from universities, from student bodies, from corporations. This is an attempt to turn back the clock to the bad old days of Jim Crow and Mr. Trump's base, which is predominantly of European descent, European settler descent. They feel that if black people are purged, this will open up opportunities for their brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews.
2: I right, got a question for you just came into the studio. But before we do that, though, Nikki Haley, her chances, is, is this a vanity race she's doing right now?
11: Well, Nikki Haley has a lot of support on Wall Street. I mean, she's having a, a big fundraiser on January 30th, and all the big guns from Wall Street will be there. There is this idea that Mr. Trump is facing 91 charges, that one of these charges might stick by, say, May, in which case Mr. Nikki Haley will be the last person standing and will have a sound argument for replacing him before the Republican Party convention of this summer. So I think that it's more than a vanity campaign although I do think she'll be embarrassed in her home state of South Carolina with that primary approaching within days, I really don't see a path to victory for her in these primaries. But if Mr. Trump is convicted, then we're in a new ballgame.
2: Now, if that conviction, does, it, does it, if it takes place after the convention, when he's already nominated, what happens then?
11: Well, Mr. Trump feels that with regard to these federal charges, that if he is elected in January of 2025, he can pardon himself. That underscores the importance of the Georgia case, which is now in hot water, as you know, because of these allegations concerning the Fulton County prosecutor, Bonnie Willis. And supposedly she appointed an alleged purported romantic partner. Uh, who has accumulated about $650,000 in fees, although there are those who are charging that he is not competent to execute the duties for which he is appointed, Mr. Trump would have difficulty, to put it mildly, of pardoning himself from those state charges in Georgia. But now those charges are in hot water. So Mr. Trump has a credible path to victory – in the presidential race in November, and a credible credible path to getting a get out of jail free card as well.
2: Back to Fonnie, Willis, that, that that particular case in Atlanta, is it in jeopardy, or 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 is it really you know just procedural efforts are taking place? How do you see what's happening there? Can you he know, get out?
11: It's possible that she may be forced to recuse herself, like. Clarence Thomas should do in numerous cases, in which case the case would go forward. It would be difficult for Mr. Trump to railroad or sideline that case. But if she steps aside, recall that she steps aside with regard to another case against a big gun in, in Georgia, speaking of Burt Jones, and she had uh, participated in the fundraiser for one of his political opponents. She stepped aside and now that case is in limbo. And so if she's forced to step aside, that case with Mr. Trump may also go into limbo. And therefore, Mr. Trump will escape clean once again.
2: All right. Ten-I for the top of the hour. Christian's calling us. Uh, he's in Malibu. He's online too. Good morning, Christian.
9: You know, we have to get better at what we're doing. Um, just talking about that Sandy Willis case, the boyfriend, Um when this stuff started coming up, they hired an outside the investigating team to see what was going on in Atlanta. The boyfriend, the prosecutor, went to the White House uh, as supposed to uh, a trip, uh, but when he came back, he didn't have any notes. So he went to the White House for what reason? He went to the White House to gather information. On how to pursue Trump. That's what they're alleging. They're going to have to throw this case out. Now, they may retry it, but they got they to throw it out. That's impropriety. The second thing is you have to. Well, hold on.
2: Let's, let me, hold on a second, Christian. Let, let me get uh, uh, Professor Horn to respond to that part first. Professor Horn.
11: Well, have to throw the case out. I'm not so sure about that. But certainly, the Trump team will be trying to dismiss all these charges. And the so called evidence thus far is that uh, Mr. Wade, this prosecutor who is now being interrogated, that he and his putative supervisor, Fanny Willis, they took trips together. But that does not necessarily indicate impropriety. Perhaps they went to a uh, continuing legal education class in San Francisco or Miami. Perhaps they went out there to consult with law professors at Stanford and at UC Berkeley, perhaps the University of Miami. So right now, there's a lot of smoke, but thus far, no fire.
2: All right, Christian.
9: OK, um, but he went on a trip to the White House and uh, didn't have any notes on the reason why he went there. So they're implying, which is rightfully, that he was taking his information from the White House how to pursue it. But we'll find that out. The other thing is this this guy, Biden, came in and he said, we're not giving reparations. He doesn't even morning the president. We're not doing that. Okay, and he hasn't given his reparation, but yet he can give all this money to Israel and the Ukraine, but he can't give us um, reparations. Why aren't we talking about this guy being um, not deserving of another term?
2: All right. Thanks, Christian. Talk to, Dr. Warren? I mean, we're
9: talking about it right now. I
11: mean, you just mentioned it. And with regard to your previous allegation, uh, how can we be so sure that he did not take notes, number one? And, uh, I mean, h- how do you subpoena a lack of notes, for example? That, that, that seems like the sound of one hand clapping. I mean, uh, l- 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 let's wait for the situation to resolve itself. Uh, I think it's premature to call for dismissal of the charges in any case or even to claim that there's impropriety.
2: All right, 13 at the top. Right, let's step aside and take a short break. and we come back, Johnny, Tony, got questions for you. Also got a tweet question that came into the studio for you. Professor Horn, family, you want to join this conversation, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your call is in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. From the DMV, on FM, 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning once again family, 20 minutes after the top that with Dr. Gerald Horn. Dr. Horn, teacher at the University of Houston, and we're going to talk some sports and also talk about his book launching that's going to take place in, in uh, L.A., and also he's got another event taking place tomorrow as well, we'll talk about that, but before we do all of that though, uh, uh, Dr. Horn, put your legal hat on again, uh, this, this question came into our newsroom, he says what does he think about the lawsuit that Minister Farrakhan filed against the ADL and the Simon Wiesenthal Center for $4 billion?
11: Well, it's going to be very difficult for that lawsuit to prevail. I assume that it will go before a judge who most likely, if that judge wants to preserve his future or her future judicial career may be may feel compelled to dismiss this case. but certainly, there has been a lot of sniping uh, between the a b l and the Nation of Islam, as as you know, the ADL has been criticized by its own staff because the the staff of the ADL feels that the ADL, which is supposed to be a guardian of the Jewish community, oftentimes gives a path to billionaires like Elon Musk when they engage in anti-Jewish expressions while cracking down on allegations from those who are not billionaires who are accused of similar models. So the ADL, whether or not this case prevails, uh, has a case to answer in the court of public
2: opinion. Gotcha. 21 after the top there. Johnny's joining us. He's calling from Long Beach in California. He's on line three. Good morning, Johnny. You're on with Dr. Horn.
6: Hey, Carl. Thanks for taking my call. How are you doing, uh, Dr. Horn? It's all good. Okay. Uh, I want you know, people said that, that, um, that, 14th Amendment, Section 3, that they didn't include the presidency. They did include the presidency. Uh, there were two senators uh, back then, Reverdy e. Johnson and, and Locke Morell, and they had talked about it because they had backed it off, and they said, no, they were saying it did include the presidency. And then I, I watched these scholars, and it's like they act as though the people didn't really know what they were talking about talking about back then. They, they're saying that they were deal, you know, dealing with the um, confederate, Confederates, but all, that, that section is for anyone who, tried to over, who took the oath of office. Is there any truth to that?
11: Well, I think you make a, a reasonable argument, and to give the audience a little background, <laughs> so as you know, what happens in 1861 is, is that the South, the slave-owning states, as Nikki Haley could now attest, sought to overthrow the U.S. government so they could perpetuate enslavement of Africans forevermore. By 1865, they had lost. The victors at that particular moment were in no mood for charity, so they helped to push through the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which seeks in Section 3, as you suggest, to bar from future office holding those who had been involved in insurrections. Mr. Trump's defenders claim that he's never been convicted of being involved in an insurrection, that his language on January 6th, they say, basically exculpates him because he had language on January 6th about proceeding peacefully in between speaking in a very hot-blooded fashion. So once again, it's going to be sorted out by the U.S. Supreme Court. Colorado authorities have turned thumbs down on Mr. Trump, so have the authorities in Maine. Authorities in California have looked at it differently. So we'll see what
6: happens. One, one more question. You know, they always say they're always talking about the, uh, um, the, uh, um, the insurrection. However, they never talk about rebellion, and it says insurrection or rebellion. It seems to me they're leaving a, a major part out of the the law.
11: Well, I'm sure Mr. Trump's supporters would say that on January 6th he was sitting comfortably in the White House. He was not storming the Capitol to prevent Michael Pence from counting electoral college votes. Now, of course, we know that Mr. Trump did not lift a finger to stop January sixth from happening. But he is a sly operator, and that's what sly operators do. They try to allow themselves a little wiggle room in case an indictment comes down
2: the path. All right. Thanks, Johnny. Well, uh, Twenty five at the top there. You you mentioned Nikki Haley again and she said that America it's something that America was not a racist country. Was that a wink and a nod to the MAGA group?
11: I mean, here's the issue with regard to the Republican Party, and this is something that even some of our friends on the left don't seem to recognize. There's this alliance between those in the 1% who want tax cuts, for example, which Mr. Trump was able to jam through as early as 2017, and those in debate who want an overthrow of diversity, equity, inclusion, overthrow of affirmative action, because as they see it, they're competing with black people and other people not defined as quote white, unquote, for slots in universities or slots in corporations. They feel that if you overthrow affirmative action, overthrow DEI, then there will open up opportunities uh, for their relatives. And so that's this sort of ungodly, ungainly coalition that you have between the base and the 1%. And I must say, it's a very powerful coalition although it can be defeated.
2: All right, 26 after the top there. Let's go to Middletown, Delaware. Tony's waiting for us on line one. Good morning, Tony.
7: Yeah, hi. I was going to just bring up the, uh, you know, the change in, you know, what the federal government wants to do with uh, uh, remote working. Um, But let me just, just on this DEI thing real quick, Um, I think it's, it's, it's miscategorized because, um, really, people just want uh, you know to know that whoever's in that job is qualified. They don't care if it's a Chinese guy, Asian guy, white guy, black guy, whatever. They just want to know that the person that's in that position got there fairly. So, I mean, of course, people got to make noise, and you know, every, everyone always reaches to the to the to the racism card, but that, that's not really it. It's about who's there and and deserves to be there. So that's that's that that you know that's really what it is. But, and then secondly, so what's up? Um, well, well, no, we before
2: you move on, let, let me get uh, Dr. Horn to re- respond to that part of it, because that's what okay. they say. That's what they tell you. So, Dr. Horn, your response. Well, that's
11: what to it, to it is. It. Well, the caller makes a fair point. But uh, as you know, when you move towards fascism, up becomes down and down becomes up. Recall that just last month, there was a serious debate on Fox News about a war against Christmas. Now, anybody who lives in the United States of America knows that it's ludicrous to talk about a war against Christmas. But that's the, the, the kind of murky waters we're now in right now. And so this campaign against DEI on the basis that it allows people without merit, without qualifications to rise to higher levels, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. But that does not mean it won't work.
2: Yeah, because that's I what mean, basically they're saying. That if any of us who get, get uh, hired, we got hired because of that. You know, that's, that's what they're saying. And not because we merited the, the position.
7: Well, it, it, it paints that picture. It, it paints that picture. It makes it seem that way. So that's why it should be tossed out. So it's just a meritorious. So, look, no, one, no one's stopping us from uh, starting businesses and hiring and firing who we want to promote and fire and hire. So that's where it should be. It shouldn't be all this beggy, beggy, beggy for, hey, hey, Mr. White, give me a job, give me a promotion. Man, it's a loser's mentality, and it's disgusting. So, but anyway, if people want to gravitate to that, that's fine. But winners don't gravitate that way. Winners go out and get what we want, and we roll that way. We don't. We don't look for beggy, beggy, Hey, man, give me this. We make it happen. So, if y'all want to keep on with this, begging someone that you call the oppressor for something, th- that that makes no sense to me. It's just it makes zero sense to be begging someone you call an oppressor. If you want that, then we're gonna be losers, you know, forever. And begging forever so whatever y'all y'all can can keep on this narrative but it's it's it's, it's low life it's a low life narrative we, we we above that we kings so whatever y'all keep y'all keep playing this game all right
2: yeah kings. but you're repeating yourself tony what's your second yeah. question
7: second question is if, if climate change is such an existential threat why are they making us go back in the federal government to uh, they, they're taking it down from three days a week remote working to one day a week. If it's, you know, if it's, if, if it's killing us, why are they putting all the us on the road again? You know what I'm saying? So it's just a bunch of, a bunch of hypocrites, you know, talking crap to the people that, that don't know any better. So all that's right. all I got. All
2: right. Thanks, Tony. Uh, Dr. Horn?
11: Well, if you look at the commercial real estate market, which is heading south with a bullet, You'll get an idea of why there is a movement to get people to come back to the offices. You've had a lot of people who've tied up their pension plans, tied up billions of dollars in investment in these skyscrapers and these office towers, which are now uh, sitting empty. And so that's the reason why there's this momentum to have people come back to the office. Now, with regard to the prior point, the issue there is, anybody who wants to start a business or wants to expand a business oftentimes has to go to a bank, be you black, brown, white, whatever. Now, if the bank is going to discriminate against black folks who are seeking to get loans, well, then are we saying we should accept that? Because otherwise that means we're, quote, begging, begging, and then the white person who gets the loan gets the loan? That's not the kind of country I think we want to live in.
2: 29 away from the top now. Sandra's in Baltimore, line two. Good morning, Sandra. You're on with Dr. Horn.
8: Um, good morning, Carl. Good morning, Dr. I had to call him because this last caller, well, he sounds like he's a dickhead. He needs to be cleansed. There's something wrong with him. We, we're we not begging for anything. And it's uh, more, you, as Nikki Haley can say, let me put this out there about Nikki Haley. South Carolina got her number i tell you what,
2: Sandra, would do you... us a favor. and put in a question for him so
0: uh, Professor Horn okay. can respond.
8: Would, would you, would, uh, Professor, would you talk about...
0: Uh... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
8: About where where she came from, No, she came from India, but she was raised in South Carolina. Would you talk about her history a little bit more? That her father was a professor, but he couldn't teach at a white college in South Carolina. He had to teach at Brown University because they was labeled as raghead Negroes. Would you talk about her a little bit more so that people can know where she's coming from? I I listen. I'll hang up
2: and listen. All right. Thanks, Sandra.
8: So, as noted,
11: Nikki Haley is the daughter of Indian immigrants raised in South Carolina. She attended Clemson University, uh, has a degree in accounting. She pursued that profession. She was catapulted into the national scene when she acceded to protest and took down the flag from the state capitol in Columbia, South Carolina, the Confederate flag, I should say. Uh, This is after the slaying in the church in Charleston of nine black worshipers by a racist by the name of Dylan Roof. She is facing controversy not only uh, because of her uh, ignorance concerning the role of the Civil War in slavery, when, of course, the Civil War started uh, in South Carolina, but also there are these charges in the London Daily Mail about uh, sexual infidelity. That has not broken through in the U.S. press, but I guarantee you that Mr. Trump on Truth Social will make, be making a big deal of this in the run-up to the primary within a week or so.
2: Yeah, Martha Man and I mentioned that too. She says if she's a threat, you'll then you'll see that particular story that you, I'm, I'm familiar with. it. It's in the uh, Daily Mail, uh, the London UK Daily Mail. But anyway, we got to take a short break. I got a tweet question for you. I want to talk some sports too. Uh, Dr. Horn, 800 450 7876. Speak to Dr. Horn. We'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family. 22 minutes away from the top of the hour with Dr. Gerald Horn from the University of Houston. We got a tweet question for Doctor Horn. Also, talk some sports, and also his book signing that's going to take place in L.A. And it's also got another event that's taking place tomorrow. But before we do all of that, just want to remind you that tomorrow is Friday again. We're going to give you another chance to free your mind, think for yourself, and reach out to us for another edition of Open Phone Friday. We're promptly at six a.m. Eastern time, right here in Baltimore on ten ten WOLB. When you're in the D.M.V. or on FM ninety five point nine and AM fourteen fifty WOL. All right, the, the tweeter says. Uh, let me just read this up here it says uh, greetings professor horn is the refusal of the Israeli government to obey its own population and its master the United States demands for Israel to stop the genocide of Gazan civilians and the destruction of the Gaza Strip widened the conflict and how will it affect the region and he adds uh, when are you coming back to DC
11: well actually I'll be in DC for most of the month of May that's the easy question with regard to this Gaza crisis, it's impacting the Israeli economy. The Israeli economy cannot survive this conflict. That's one of the problems. The Israelis have had to evacuate most of southern Israel. They've had to evacuate most of northern Israel. They've put people in hotels. They have reservists, that is to say people who are usually in office cubicles and stocking grocery shelves, now on the front lines of the war in Gaza. This is unsustainable from an Israeli point of view. That's why I'm suggesting that they really need a ceasefire, although they don't want to admit it. So the problem is that the United States continues to support Israel, continues to send weapons uh, to Israel in the first instance. And that is going to be a campaign issue, at least internally within the Democratic Party, because quite frankly, I expect Donald Trump to be even more hawkish than the current administration if somehow he makes his way back to power in 2025.
2: Having said that, how much money do we send to, uh, this is our money family, this is our taxpayers' money, how much money do we send to Israel? Do you know? Oh, is, is, it, it's, it's, so, is it more than so, any other country?
11: Certainly on a per capita level, if not an absolute level. And recall what happened just a few weeks ago when Secretary of State Blinken did an in-run around Congress, which was supposedly to have a say on these arms transfers, and said that there was some sort of emergency, and sent weapons packing to Israel. And this includes rifles, which these settlers on Palestinian territory in the West Bank are now using to rout Palestinians from their homes and from their land. This cannot go on. It's unsustainable. That's why I'm optimistic that the World Court will weigh in tomorrow, and then the question will be forcing the United States not to veto a Security Council resolution to implement the World Court decision.
2: All right, 19 away from the top hour, I and mean, then let's let's uh, get a little distraction here, get a respite from what's going on on the battlefield. But the football, we're going to learn out who's going to the Super Bowl. Uh, This weekend, we got the the Ravens and the Chiefs and the Lions and the Niners. So who are you picking, Dr. Horn?
11: Well, obviously the Lions are a sentimental choice. I mean, they've been wandering in the wilderness for decades. Uh, It's hard to imagine that they're one game away from the Super Bowl. So they're my sentimental choice to to, to go all the way. Now, with regard to Kansas City and Baltimore, uh, Lamar has, uh, in the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, has really stepped up. But how are you going to deny Kansas City, given the record of Patrick Mahomes, given their record over the past six or seven years, ever since Patrick Mahomes uh, has arrived? And given their defeat of the Buffalo Bills in the Bills' backyard just a few days ago, it's going to be very difficult to vote against the Kansas City Chiefs. Likewise, I'm a Lamar Jackson man, so my money's on him.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a good game. Two great teams, so it should be a good team. Are you the thought that the winner of this game wins the Super Bowl?
11: Well, practically speaking, you're probably correct. But as I said, my sentimental choice is the Detroit
2: Lions. Is that because they haven't they've been on that scene for a while?
11: Well, of course. And, and plus, you know, Detroit, it's a majority black city. Uh, it's a city that has a heroic uh, history. I, I look at Detroit as sort of the Haiti of the United States of America, that is to say a city that has been punished because it has had a progressive black population. And so therefore my vote is with Detroit.
2: Yeah, it's on the rebound too. There's a renaissance taking place in in Detroit. At you know, one time, the, the real estate was dirt. They were giving away homes now, and now you can't get them. It's so expensive. The Chinese were coming in Detroit and buying up a lot of the the real estate in Detroit, and it's changed. and And of course, you know, sports, sports teams. That's where they they, they get the identity. And, and in Washington D.C., there's a talk about you know they were trying to get the. The, the Washington team back into the district to play because that's that's the identity uh, for the team now they're talking about the the other two professional teams are moving out of the district into Virginia talk to us about that because there's another move too with with the in Oakland uh, the Oakland A's are, are trying to move to Vegas and their their stadium won't be ready and uh, you know for Oakland it's, it's not a good scene for the Bay Area because they, they've lost another team talk to us about that uh, uh, Professor, Small, Professor Horn <laughs>
11: Well, with regard to, to Washington, uh, I saw in the Washington Post the other day that the state legislature is wondering about this deal with these professional teams that carry the name Washington. They haven't seen a term sheet. They haven't seen any numbers. So it may be premature to suggest that these Washington teams will be moving to Virginia with regard To Oakland, well, as you know, the Raiders are already in Las Vegas. Uh, After all, the Super Bowl will be taking place uh, in the Raiders Stadium uh, in Las Vegas. The baseball team is probably en route to Las Vegas as well, although I think that that's not a done deal either. The problem for the baseball team is that the taxpayers of Oakland are reluctant to continue shelling out tax money to this multi-billion dollar
2: franchise. Yet yeah, the same cannot be said of, of New York. Buffalo is getting a new stadium on the, the taxpayer's dime. What's the difference here?
11: Well, the difference, one of the differences is that the governor of New York is from Buffalo. She carries a lot of water for Buffalo. And then, of course, folks in New York need to investigate her husband. Uh, And to see if he's involved in any of these deals, Uh, the New York Times, nor, and of course, the New York Post hasn't covered that very well. And I think that's one of the major differences.
2: Oh, wow. Uh, Fifteen away from the top. the Let's go to the NBA. You're telling us to watch this guy, SGA. He only goes by his initials, SGA, playing for the Thunder. And I saw him. He's pretty good. And he's got a lot of of talk about, you know, for the All-Star game. Your thoughts on his game.
11: Well, sure. I mean, the Oklahoma Thunder are the surprise franchise of the NBA right now. After they lost uh, Kevin Durant and James Harden and Russell Westbrook, we thought that that franchise was doomed. But they're all the way back right now. And SGA, who has roots in Antigua Barbuda, for example, that is to say in the Caribbean, although he grew up in Canada and one of the uh, other uh, stories of the NBA right now, is all of this talent that's coming out of Canada, uh, for example, with his being Exhibit A, uh, here's a guy who is virtually ambidextrous on the court. If, if you notice, he can go right or left without any difficulty. He can finish at the hoop whenever he so chooses. He has a good outside shot. He's about six six. The guy is, is really a star. He's, he's averaging more than 30 points a game. So, uh, you know, you, you need to pay attention to this guy, and not only in the All-Star Games, but in the coming decade.
2: And speaking about points at 13 away from the time, Joel Embiid dropped 70 the other night. How did you see him?
11: I think he needs to be in the conversation with regard to the greatest center of all time, along with Bill Russell and Kareem and Wilt and Shaquille, for example, he needs to be in the conversation for the greatest player of all time, along with Oscar Robertson and Michael Jordan and Dr. J, to cite a few amongst many. And certainly, it was somewhat embarrassing for Wimby, the star of the San Antonio Spurs, who is a phenomenon in his own right. Here is a guy who's seven foot four, who can handle the ball, who blocks shots like it's no tomorrow, who has a three-point shot who can dump from the free-throw line. So this was quite an outburst by MB, and you cannot rule out the 76ers going all the way. It's really going to turn on the performance of Tobias Harris, whose numbers went down under Doc Rivers or back up under Coach Nick Nurse.
2: And and I gotta, before we go to the coaches, I got to ask you about Kevin Durant, uh, the local guy, and he says he should be in the conversation about the goat when it comes to the NBA. Do you think he deserves a consideration?
11: Oh, clearly. I mean, the guy has rings. He's won championships in, in the the Bay Area. Uh, here's a guy who's seven feet tall, who handles the ball like he's six foot one, who has an outside shot. He's fast. That's that's really part of the game. That is oftentimes neglected uh, with regard to basketball in general. The speed in going from uh, up and down the court. So yes, uh, Maryland should be quite proud. The district should be quite quite proud of Kevin Durant.
2: Yeah, and, and Milwaukee Bucks just hired uh, Doc Rivers, and now they got three coaches on on their payroll. What's going on there? He he, he had a winning season. What happened?
11: Well, the short answer is defense. Their defensive numbers went down under Coach Griffin. And then there was grumbling uh, from the stars, particularly Giannis. Uh, Doc Rivers, of course, uh, he earned his spurs uh, in Milwaukee. He's a, he went to Marquette University, where his number was retired. Uh, he's from neighboring Chicago. He's won championships with the Boston Celtics. He's had the credible tours of duty with the 76ers and with the Clippers and their Orlando Magic. So, in a sense, it is an upgrade, but I think that Coach Griffin got a raw deal.
2: Yeah, because it seems like they gave that, you know, it seems like back to what Magic did with with the Lakers when they made a change and installed Pat Riley. Is that how you see this move as well?
11: Or with Ty Lue. Recall that uh, that's how Ty Lue got his first job uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Their coach had a record that was similar to that uh, of Coach Griffin. But there was a kind of player rebellion, player unrest. And the coach was out. And now uh, Ty Lue is coaching the Clippers. And the Clippers are probably the on uh, the odds the odds-on favorite to go all the way this year.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Some good basketball on on deck coming for us in the next few weeks. Ten away from the top, there. A, a, a Dr. Horn Freedom Day forum. They're going to you're going to take place in that tomorrow. Can you tell us about that?
11: Yeah, so uh, I've been asked to talk about the Haitian Revolution and its impact. I've been asked to talk about the Cuban Revolution and its impact. And a footnote there is that it was Cuba that fundamentally liberated all of Southern Africa which has led directly to South Africa bringing the case against Israel in the International Court of Justice. So I'm looking forward to uh, sharing some ideas, sharing some thoughts with the brothers and sisters tomorrow. Uh, You should be able to find details online, certainly on my Facebook page.
2: Right. And I've posted it as well. So folks who want to understand what's going on, the black resistance, to slavery, the Haitian Revolution and confronting white supremacy, the Freedom Day Forum. It's a Zoom, so you can check it out. And I posted it. But you're also going to be in L.A. Tell us about your your book signing, your book launching.
11: Yeah. So this is uh, a week from Saturday, February 3rd in Africa town, Lamert Park. Once again, go to my Facebook page for details. I'm launching two new books. Uh, one entitled, uh, I Dare Say, a Gerald Horn Reader. Another, Acknowledging Radical Histories, which is a book of interviews about my work product over the decades. And then I'm going to give a sneak preview of my next book, which will be out uh, in the summer, uh, which deals with the Panthers in Southern California, uh, deals with the late George Jackson and his brother, Jonathan Jackson, who tried to spring him from prison in August 1970. They both have roots in Pasadena, as did Eldridge Cleaver, a leader of the Panthers who who made a real breakthrough, all of his errors and blunders notwithstanding, when he helped to establish an international office for the Panthers in Algeria. That was a very important breakthrough for the Black liberation movement that needs to be emulated and imitated in 2024 going forward. So I'm going to give a sneak preview of, of that book and talk about other books and then. A number of books that I've published in recent years, including my book on Texas and the roots of U.S. fascism, uh, will be there. I did a book, uh, you may recall, on this uh, brother, Lawrence Dennis, who was born in Georgia in the 1890s. He was a light-skinned Negro. He decided to pass as white. He became the leader of U.S. fascism in the 1930s, meeting with Hitler and Mussolini. If World War II had gone in a different direction. He might have been ruling the United States, but alas, it didn't go in a different direction. He barely escaped prison. So I've oftentimes suggested that that book needs to be adapted for stage or screen.
2: Yeah, and what time are you going to be in Lomira Park again for our uh, LA listeners?
11: Uh, one to three p.m. Pacific. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, quite frankly.
2: And the date again, one more time.
11: Saturday, February third, twenty twenty-four.
2: All right. Dr. Horn, how can folks follow you online, on your social media?
11: Well, I, I got enough YouTube videos up now that uh, you can spend the rest of your life uh, going through those. As noted, there's a Facebook page, which has a lot of the interviews I've done, including presumably this one, too, in a day or two or three, and others that I've done in recent years, and not to mention announcements of these events. Uh, Newspaper articles, I I just endowed uh, a fellowship for research on black Native American relations, for example, uh, given the fact that I don't think you can begin to understand slavery without understanding how these settlers routed the Native Americans in places like Mississippi and Texas, cleared the land so the cotton could be produced and then kidnapped Africans to grow the cotton. So the information about that fellowship is also on that Facebook
2: page. All right. Dr. Horn, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did and all the information you shared with us. And thank you, and we'll see you in Lemur Park, and all our friends will be out there right on. Good luck. All right. Uh, That's Dr. Gerald Horn. Family, we're done for the day. Stay strong, stay positive. Please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.